That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Fill her up. You're listening to the Gas Digital Network. Welcome to another episode of Without a Country. I'm Corinne Fisher. If you're watching a live stream, sorry, it's a little bit late. It was my fault because I am the most vain person here at Gas Digital. Um, you know, it's, you know, <laughs> I was going to just make a really rude remark uh, about the rest of the people here, but that's unnecessary and I'm trying to be a better person. So I will go without that. It is a very exciting week this week on uh, Without a Country. It is the long-awaited Casey Anthony week. Had I thought ahead, I would have made someone make some kind of ridiculous outlandish banner where Casey Anthony's face flew across the screen, but I didn't think ahead. That being said, I did a ton of research for today's episode, um, and I watched a lot of media, read a lot of articles, um, I stayed up so late that I actually fell fully down my staircase uh, last night and my body hurts a lot. Like there are like it it hurts like I've never been in a car accident, um, but I it hurts as if I was in a car accident. Like I can't really move this arm or this arm or my left leg, um, but I didn't knock out any teeth. And that's what's important. Uh, my dog did run over. And looked down the stairs to make sure I fell and it wasn't just a loud treat. And then he walked. No, he didn't walk back. He walked and he sat on my lap because he's a good boy. Um, but anyway, if I sound in a bad mood, that's why. Also, I did spend uh, the past, you know, several days uh, researching baby murder. So that didn't put me in a great mood. And then I did make the mistake of listening to Lips of an Angel by Hinder right before I came into the studio, which what well, just 
wasn't necessary. That was like not necessary to do. It made me extra sad. Um, but now we are here and the lighting is good and we can all pay attention to all the research I did instead of what age you think I look this week. You wish. Okay. And shout out to uh, the wacko, the fucker, the all around amazing uh, person, Chelsea, for giving me her peacock login so that I didn't have to pay even one month of Peacock. I don't think, you know, I could have, but it's just like, then I would have forgotten. Then there would be this reoccurring charge on my credit card. And that's just one more thing that we don't need in this already hectic life. Um, All right, let's get plugs out of the way for uh, this week. I have a bunch of shows coming up. All these tickets are available at CorinneFisher.com. Just click on live when you get there. Um, so first off, you, I've been plugging it. The link is now up. It's live. It's New York uh, Comedy Club New Year's Eve. So this is New York Comedy Club East Village New Year's Eve, which I hope you know, but it's Saturday, December 31st. Uh, it's 6 p.m. It's my yearly pregame show when I'm in town. Um, and we have such a sick line. I don't even know how I got comics of this caliber all on one show for the price that I got them on. Um, but it's me, Christina Hutchinson, Ryan Long, Lev Fur, Chloe LeBranch, Maddie Smith. I'm I'm impressed with myself and I booked the show and these are my friends. Um, incredible. So excited for that. So make sure to get tickets ASAP if you want to spend New Year's Eve with us. It's a great time um, and you can, you know, you pregame with us and then you go do whatever the fuck you want to do um, for the actual ball drop and buy tickets soon because that will 100% sell out. And then moving into my 2023 road dates, Austin, Texas, I'm coming for you February 10th. I'll be performing at the Vulcan Gas Company, uh, Houston, Texas, February 11th, two shows at Rockefellers, which is like a rock and roll venue. So that should be fun or terrible. I'm not sure how the sound is, but I've never played there before. But Houston, you guys are great. Texas overall, really, really great audiences. Happy to go back. And then Toronto making my I'm sorry, Toronto. That's the correct pronunciation. Toronto. I'm making my grand return to Canada, February 17th and 18th. I haven't been there in so long because of COVID. And our Canadian fans are so fucking cool especially Toronto. I love hanging out there. Um, I'll be at Comedy Bar. That's the only ticket link that is not let ya- uh, l- yet live, but uh, make sure to save either February 17th or 18th to come spend some time with me. And of course, do you need, do you need a gift for a man in your life? Go, go to Perfectly Centered in Larchmont, New York. It's 1989 Palmer Avenue if you're in the Westchester area. You can go there on foot. It is the birthplace of Mike Harrington, not the store specifically, but Larchmont, New York. Okay, it's a beautiful town. You will when you go there, you'll you will be stunned that Mike Harrington is from there. It is the bougiest fucking place I have ever been in my entire life because I lived a very middle middle class life. Um, Mike is so mad right now. He wants to keep the allure up his, of his Guy Fieri humble beginnings. <laughs> yes, I'm sorry. What would you like to say, Mike? Is Guy Fieri known for humble beginnings? By by his dress, I would guess that he is a pretty he had pretty middle class beginnings. I just feel like he had supportive parents. Right. 
and and you did too, right? No, but I I was you so, didn't. I was so middle class. Like my dad was a cop. He had to like beg, borrow, and steal to get a mortgage in that. That's town. good. Out out your out your ex cop dad for stealing on the show. That's you, nice. Okay, come on now. <laughs> it's you a know saying, guys. I know I'm being difficult today. All um, cops are on the take. Uh, all cops are what? On the take. What does that even mean? Like, if you're a cop and you're not taking bribes, what are you doing? Oh, well, we're going to discuss that at length during today's episode, so I'm so glad. I always forget that your dad was a cop because that plays so much into our Casey Anthony discussion today. Um, But anyway, so it's uh, on Instagram and TikTok. Follow at Perfectly Centered Store if you're not in the area. We do have gift cards. Send in a relative. I just want everyone to know, and I always forget to promote the store on this uh, show, which is the show with a lot more male listeners. I, I don't know. Maybe the other one has it too. Um, quick update on something. Um, if you guys remember last year, I got so sick while taking care of my dad that I ended up in the hospital in June of 2021. Like I was blacked out on the floor. Christina had to break into my apartment after getting a key from Harrington, who was the only other person who had a key to my apartment at the time. And um, she found me on the floor, like brought a doctor in and the doctor was like, you need to go to the emergency room now. So that was a whole fiasco. I see it overnight. I was on, on an IV drip because I was like fucking passed out when I got there. It was insane. I ended up being kidney stones. I did miss the Dave Chappelle party. But don't worry, all my friends went and uh, didn't answer my calls uh, when I needed help um, getting home from the hospital. <laughs> um, and so I I had a $6,000 bill that I just refused to pay because I have insurance and I was so angry that they like forced me to stay. Didn't really help me very much. Uh, I was there for like 24 hours. I had to ask at one point for something to eat. No one even offered me anything. And I was like, please, can I have some food? I'm going to faint Um, after I already fainted. And uh, I I was just going to I was just seeing how long I could go without paying this bill. Um, And so the answer is this long. It's December 2022. They asked me for money, you know, right out of the gates, uh, you know, around June 2021. And then they did not follow up until December 2022. I'm I'm feeling a little bit more I'm feeling a little bit more open to paying this bill now. Um, and it also gave me the breakdown, which I've never seen before. So my insurance did actually take care of a lot. The original bill was twenty nine thousand dollars. This is for kidney stones, one night stay. I did not get any surgery. Um, I got an IV drip, according to them, five times, which was $4,440. And then um, me just entering the emergency room was almost $6,000. And then I did also get a CT scan because that's how they determined whether or not they would have to laser the the stones out of my body. And that was a cool $4,800. And then I was in an observation room, which I guess is the I'm not sure if it was when they placed me in the hallway and bumped into me continuously for 12 hours or if that was when they put me in a bright room and told me to just relax. Um, But that was eleven thousand eight hundred and twenty five dollars. So, you know, if I get kidney stones again, I will um, try to schedule it around those Toronto dates in February. But I just wanted to up you guys on, update you guys on this fascinating story. And it did. I did feel like such a bad girl not paying this bill. Because, like, if you know... Oh, God, I hope my fucking address isn't flying all over. I don't even think it's on this piece of paper. Um, but so if... Uh, 
if you guys uh, know me, like especially in real life, I'm, you know, before I got into comedy, I was a bit of a goody two shoes. I'm a pay your bills on time, you know, follow the rules of, you know, of the government to a certain extent kind of gal. And it felt very freeing not to pay that bill and then to talk about it publicly on top of it because I'm just fucking I'm just over it. Um, And I had already done done all the things I needed to do for quite some time that I need good credit for. You know, I'd taken care of my store. I'd purchased my um, apartment. And then I go, do I really need good credit right now? And I think the answer is no. I have all the credit cards I need. So, you know, I don't know if you guys want to sound off in the comments if I should pay this bill or not. Uh, As Shane has told us on the show, he had gone like several times without paying bills. And at a certain point, it just goes away. So, Mike... Mike, a level of expertise in not paying bills. So I just had to do this with Alex. We got a new place for the first. We didn't have to even run our credit last time. Mazel tov, yes. Uh, this place, they were. This is like an actual adult place, so they ran our credit. Yeah. I th- my early twenties were a mess. Yeah. And I have a great credit score. Right. I have no clue how. I know. Well, it, it's interesting because it just lapses. Like that's what I was. I just like you know strive for perfection in every area of my life, which is really pleasant for everyone in my life to be around and uh i have a good credit credit score too so it's just like i didn't even want to ruin the number like if the number is you know if the number dropped below seven something i would i would croak i would just faint i would die right there on the spot here's what you do what do you do don't check it for like five years but my my um credit card company emails me uh, i mean that's different though because it opening emails from your credit card but company they, you're not paying the bills uh i mean i am paying well i am paying the credit card bills they're like uh they're like your fico score has changed which is i get is that's different than your credit score or no what the fuck is a fico score yeah that's your uh federal i'll look it up but that's the same as the credit score yeah okay that's what i thought because i was like i guess they're just calling it something different but uh, uh, but i was like that's really the only number that i have to be um paying attention to so anyway i just wanted to update you guys on that because i mean that this pissed me off and like i fought them i was like i don't think i have to stay overnight and like there just needs to be a little bit more transparency um about that you know if they're just going to make up reasons why they can't accept your insurance which is i mean i'm already paying like astronomical um insurance uh premiums per month yeah and it just it just the 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 mere principle of it bothered me and you know i'm big on principle um all right so that's all the personal stuff we have to get uh through right now uh i do have a couple articles that are not about casey anthony just in case you you know child murder ain't ya thang i want to make sure that we keep it uh varied for everybody uh but i will say the enemy of the state this week is a hundred percent george anthony Casey Anthony's father. <clears throat> Enemy of the state. And we'll get to that in a memento. So I'm going to start with something light that I saw on Twitter before I came in. This is from the New York Post. Florida man busted for public sex with dog wrecking church nativity scene. This is just, I mean, this is a bit of a cuties corner. Um, this is lighthearted. Mike loves that drop. And it is, yeah, this is good for the holidays. I feel like it's, you know, even though a nativity scene was destroyed, um, it is non-denominational. Anyone can enjoy this story no matter what you believe in. Uh, So a Florida man went on a deranged rampage in which he had sex with 
um, a dog in front of horrified families and then destroyed a church nativity while trying to escape from the angry onlookers, police said. Chad Mason, 36, allegedly began, and also I just want to point out like he's kind of hot, um, allegedly began his sick crime spree while walking a friend's labradoodle. And that was the first part that really jumped out at me. It wasn't the fact that he fucked a dog. It was the breed of dog that he fucked that really bothered me. There should be no doodle in any dog you're fucking. I think if you're fucking a dog, obviously we're going Great Dane first and we're going German Shepherd second. I would say third to Rottweiler. Um, And if you're fucking anything else, you're a monster. Um, So uh, he began his sick crime spree while walking a friend's labradoodle Friday in a quiet neighborhood in Clearwater, Florida, police said. At one point, he began fornicating with the animal in full view of several spectators, including a child, according to Fox, um, an adult. Uh, uh, there's so many ads on this page. Jesus, an adult confronted him during the act, and he ran toward north uh, nearby Northwood Presbyterian Church, where he toppled a Christmas nativity scene and smashed several plot- potted plants that had been put out for display. When he was confronted by someone at the apartment complex there, he ran from the scene and began to wreak havoc in the surrounding area. Authorities said. There's that little smoke show right there. Uh, I, the, the beard is a little chin strappy for me. But other than that, I think he has a great face. Uh, Mason then destroyed a mailbox and even tried to steal a car to make his getaway, according to a police report. Several witnesses called 911 and responding police units located him nearby before taking him into custody. Mason is now facing a slew of criminal counts, including lewd exhibition and criminal mischief at a place of worship. He bonded out of jail and will appear in court later this month. I also like they don't list like, I mean, is that not animal abuse? How are they not listing animal abuse there? Dylan, does Florida not have animal abuse laws? Nah, the animal consented to that walk. You made that up. You fucking made that up. No, if if an animal is like jumping at the door and wants to go outside, that's Mm -hmm. consent. Oh, it is. Well, I mean, this, so because the Labradoodle went on a walk, it consented to being fucked. Is that what you're saying right now? Yeah. Why is the Labradoodle um, shaved like that? Uh-huh. I mean, why is it walking in a, a town in Clearwater with that kind of haircut? You know, it's oh can't, can't be asking to go outside and also dress like that. It's you awful. know what? <laughs> oh my God. Um, wait. What do we? What do we? What do you? What do we call that when we're making up things? Not riffing. What was the word we used to use? Oh, uh, we're just uh, we're freestyling. We're freestyling. That's what it was. Okay, Dylan. Thank you so much for freestyling, uh, Dylan. And yes, everyone, it is that Dylan um, is working on the show today, and he obviously um, is unclear that this is a show about facts, not jokes. <laughs> so when I ask you I, something, that serious. Uh, so when I ask you something, I'm going to need you to look it up and actually provide me with the correct information. <laughs> so now I'm looking up animal. Wait, animal like abuse laws in florida um let's see let's see so animal cruelty is usually charged as a first degree misdemeanor in florida the penalty for most misdemeanors in the state is a maximum fine of a thousand dollars and no more than one year in jail um let's see animal abuse see they don't care Wait, um, animal abuse sex laws, Florida? <laughs> I just want to Google, can you fuck a dog in Florida? Okay, so yeah, I mean, right here, sexual activities involving animals in Florida. A person may not knowingly engage in any sexual conduct with an animal. 
uh, or knowingly cause, aid, or abet another person to engage in any sexual contact with an animal, which I think might be worse than just fucking the animal on your own. Like, can you imagine? You're like, well, I, 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 uh, I booked a conjugal visit for the Labradoodle and this fucking uh, dog walker so that they could fuck on the nativity scene. Hey, responsible adults, or just whoever's listening, um, over the age of 21 living in states where Delta 8 is legal, you want to get high? You want to get really high? You know the last one. Sing it along with me. You want to get really super duper legally high? Well, then now it's time to go to YoDelta.com where you can stock up on high quality lab tested Delta 8. You know I don't use it. You know I've seen people who do. They love it. They want more vapes. They want more gummies. They keep the product, uh, you know, coming. They want it in their mouths. They order more. I give them free stuff. They say, I'm going to use that coupon code to order more. And they do. I know it. I saw it on my best friend's counter. He fucking loves it. So if you're over the age of 21 and living in the majority of states where this is legal, you're going to go to YoDelta.com and you're going to stock up on Delta 8. What's Delta 8? It's found in hemp and can be legally shipped to various states. And you got it. It gets you high. At YoDelta.com, you can find a mix of gummies and vapes for all your getting stoned needs. And I can tell you that Delta 8 works and these products should be taken responsibly. I've seen it with my own damn eyes. So once more, that's YoDelta.com, the official Delta 8 sponsor of the Gas Digital Network. And if you use promo code GAS, G-A-S, you're going to get 25% off. Once more, that's promo code GAS, G-A-S, for 25% off. Yo Delta, home of the Delta 8, that will get you super high. Back to the show. I mean, just everything about that story was ugh, chef's kiss. I loved every little bit of it. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I do and as much as the Labradoodle did. Um, our top story today, I'm going to do it right now. Um, the the lib and conservative uh, takes on this. Um, this is something that broke right before I came into the studio earlier today. Uh, Trump's company was charged with tax fraud. And this is very interesting because Trump is always going to court, getting in trouble, but he's really ever um, I think this is the first time he's actually like the charge went through. Everything is always dropped. And I think everyone's finally sick of his shit. Um, so he was finally found guilty. This is from The Washington Post. This is the liberal take Trump organization convicted in New York criminal tax fraud trial. Former President Donald Trump's namesake company. Uh, was convicted Tuesday of tax crimes committed by two of its longtime executives after a Manhattan trial that gave jurors a peek at some of the inner workings of the Trump organization's finances. The real estate, hospitality, and golf resort operation headquartered at Trump Tower on Fifth Avenue faces the possibility of a $1.6 million fine, which, I mean, for a large com uh, corporation doesn't seem that, or company doesn't seem that, big, but okay. Um, New York Supreme Court jurors began their deliberations midday on Monday. The company was charged with scheme to defraud, conspiracy, criminal tax fraud, and falsifying business records. Prosecutors built the case largely around longtime Trump Organization Chief Financial Officer Alan Weisselberg. 
who pleaded, always making our people look bad, who pleaded guilty in August to 15 counts, including tax fraud, conspiracy, and grand larceny. He was promised a steeply reduced sentence of five months in jail in exchange for testifying against the company. He had faced up to 15 years in prison. Yo, he snitched so hard. Um, in his testimony, Weisselberg detailed how he and the company's comptroller, Jeffrey McConney, schemed to cheat state and federal authorities over a 15-year period beginning in 2005. Weisselberg used the company to cover major personal expenses like rent for a luxury apartment on the Hudson River, Mercedes-Benz leases for himself and his wife, and private school tuition for his grandchildren. That one's very hard to find, to like write off. I mean, I feel like you could say like the apartment was for, you know, uh, some of our clients and the Benz was for driving uh, clients around. How the fuck do you cover up private school tuition for your grandchildren? Um, In some instances, he paid the company back for his personal expenses, which allowed him to use pre-tax compensation illegally. Other expenses were paid for by the company, but not reported as taxable income as required by tax laws. McConney, who admitted in his testimony to committing crimes, was granted immunity under New York law because he was called by prosecutors uh, as a grand jury witness in the case. Prosecutors argued the conduct of Weisselberg and McConney made the company criminally liable uh, to Trump organization entities, the Trump Corporation and the Trump Payroll payroll corporation were on trial both were found guilty on all charges lawyers for the entities argued that weisselberg had no intent to help the company only himself well obviously that's america and that prosecutors did not successfully prove there were corporate uh liability prosecutors uh argued the company saved on their medicare tax responsibility and benefit in other ways from the scheme the manhattan district attorney's office also argued at the close of the case that Trump had personal knowledge of the tax cheating carried out by his executives. Duh. Uh, At one point in his summation, Assistant District Attorney Joshua Steinglass, I mean, these are like caricature Jew Jew names, uh, pointed to a document that had been initialed by Trump and called it explicit proof of his knowing that his executives were tinkering with expenses to reduce their tax liabilities. Trump Trump has not been charged with wrongdoing. In a recent social media post, he denied having knowledge of the crimes Weisselberg and McConney committed. And this is an a story that is developing, so there will be updates. But I mean, I, I, I think unless you're like really interested in sticking it to Trump, um, there's not a ton more to know. What was most interesting to me is that <clears throat> so uh, that was like the top story on a lot of uh, liberal news sources, NPR, CNN, USA Today, uh, Washington Post, New York Times. And then, of course, I headed over to Fox News because we already know New York Post is against Trump because of what they did when he announced that he is, in fact, running for president. Um, But I checked Fox News and they did have this story on the main page, but it was down below. The top stories were, number one, some update about Gabby Petito that seemed like much ado about not, it didn't seem that interesting it's like he killed her we all know this um and then uh there was also a large portion of the page that was dedicated to a twitter argument over whether or not the classic movie blazing saddles would survive uh woke culture so like not even the movie being canceled it's now turned into hypothetical dialogue about whether 
if an old movie came out now, if people would have a problem with it, which is like yes to almost everything. Anytime you watch almost any kind of uh, old movie, like I, you're like, this wouldn't fly today. Like I was watching Home Alone 2 this week and I was like, yeah, I don't know if all this brick in the face, you know, would would work. And I think there's also like a bunch of Jewish jokes about um, Marv that probably wouldn't go through also so it's just like yeah like you know society progresses and art progresses to mimic society art imitates life life imitates art however you think about it um and then the conservative piece from fox business uh is this again can you pull it up on the screen because now it's the part of the show where my computer locks me out and it's really fun Okay. Um, so Trump organization and titles uh, entities found guilty on all counts of tax fraud. Trump brands witch hunt vows appeal. So, you know, they're they're addressing the fact that they were found guilty. But then they're like, you know, Trump's going to fight back and it's going to be exciting for everyone. Uh, I, w- I need to read that. Uh, all right. Scroll, 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 please. Uh, can you make it a little bigger? Two companies um, with the Trump organization were found guilty Tuesday on multiple charges of criminal tax fraud in a case brought by the Manhattan District Attorney. A jury deliberated for two days and found two corporate entities at the Trump organization guilty on all 17 counts, including conspiracy charges and falsifying business records. Then there's a big picture because they do write Fox News articles like it is a children's book, which is fun for me. I enjoy reading these articles a lot more, much quicker. The verdict followed a trial in which the Trump organization was accused of being complicit in a scheme by top executives to avoid paying personal income taxes on job perks, such as uh, rent-free apartments and luxury cars. The organization faces a possible fine of up to $1.6 million. New York prosecutors have spent several years investigating former President Trump and scroll up, please. Uh, and his businesses. Trump, who recently announced he was running for president again, has said the case against his company was part of a politically motivated witch hunt waged against him by vindictive Democrats. Oh, I've missed this fodder. Uh, Trump himself was not on trial, but prosecutors alleged he knew exactly what was going on with this scheme, though he and the company's lawyers have denied that. The case against the company was built largely around testimony from the Trump organization's former finance chief, Uh, Alan Weisselberg, who previously pleaded guilty to charges that he manipulated the company's books and his own compensation package to illegally reduce his taxes. He testified in exchange for a promised five-month jail sentence to convict the Trump organization. Prosecutors had to convince jurors that Weisselberg or his subordinates, senior vice president and uh, controller Con. I don't know what that means in that context. Controller Jeffrey uh, McConney were high managerial agents acting on the company's behalf and that the company also benefited from his scheme. Trump organization lawyers argued that Weisselberg had gone rogue and betrayed the company's trust. No one in the Trump family or the company was to blame, they argued. Though he testified uh, as a prosecution witness, Weisselberg also attempted to take responsibility on the witness stand, saying nobody in the Trump family knew what he was doing. Weisselberg, who pleaded guilty to dodging taxes on $1.7 million in fringe benefits, testified that he and McConney conspired to hide that extra compensation from his income by deducting their cost from his pre-tax salary and issuing falsified W-2 forms. 
Um, Mr. Weisselberg testified under oath that he betrayed the trust the company had placed in him uh, and that he at all times acted solely for his own personal gain and out of his own personal greed. A spokesperson for the Trump organization told Fox Business, the notion that a company could be held responsible for an employee's actions to benefit themselves on their own personal tax returns is simply preposterous. The spokesperson called the case unprecedented and legally incorrect and said the Trump organization would appeal the verdict. Trump's office suggested the conviction drained government resources at the expense of record-setting murder. Uh, the Republicans love to be like, everyone's dying. Everyone's getting shot down in the streets. They love that. They love the scare tactic. Uh, Record-setting murder and other forms of violent crime that are taking place in New York City. And you know that's like wink, wink, uh, uh, you know, racial uh, prejudice. Um, It's his office called the case. um, uh, Sorry, (laughs) it reloaded, guys. Um, This is what happens when you're reading a children's book. Uh, Let's see. Mm. Where were you? Okay. His uh, thank you. His uh his office called the case a continuation of the greatest political witch hunt in the history of our country. Wow. Does does that mean that it surpasses even the actual witch hunts of Salem? Because that's bold. That's bold. And I wouldn't put that past Trump. I almost admire it. Uh, New York City is a hard place to be a Trump as businesses and people flee our once great city, the statement said. (laughs) During his closing argument, prosecutor Joshua Steinglass attempted to refute the claim that Trump knew nothing about the scheme. He showed jurors a release Trump signed for Weisselberg's company paid apartment and a memo Trump initialed authorizing a pay cut for another executive who got perks. Mr. Trump is explicitly sanctioning tax fraud, Steinglass argued. The verdict doesn't end Trump's battle with Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg, a Democrat who took office in January. Um, Bragg has said that a related investigation of Trump that began under his predecessor, District Attorney Cyrus Vance Jr., haven't heard that name in a while. I remember that, though, is active and ongoing. In that wide-ranging probe, investigators have examined whether Trump misled banks and others about the vault of his real estate holdings, golf courses, and other assets, allegations at the heart of New York Attorney General Letitia James's pending lawsuit against the former president and his company. Near the end of his tenure last year, Vance directed deputies to present evidence to a grand jury for a possible indictment of Trump. After taking office, though, Bragg let that grand jury disband so that he could give the case a fresh look. On Monday, he confirmed that a new lead prosecutor has been brought on to handle that investigation, signaling again that it is still active. So very interesting um, uh, juxtaposition between these two articles. Normally, we I mean, I would say 99.9 percent of the time, the article that we see from the liberal news source, especially when it's the Washington Post, which, you know, is the bougiest of the papers, um, is a uh, much longer and more in depth than the uh, conservative piece in this case. Uh, in this instance, that was not the case. Fox wrote a uh, more in depth article, um, but what I thought was interesting about it is that they definitely uh, took a lot more quotes about Weissel. 
Bloomberg kind of taking personal responsibility for the tax fraud. So they tried to uh, take the pin off Trump a little bit more, whereas in the Washington Post, we didn't really see that. Also, very interesting, those two articles, they had, you know, the, the, the core information was the same, but they were very, very different. A lot of times, like, you're seeing the same quotes over and over again, the same stats, so much so that, you know, we usually don't even have to read both articles. But in this instance, um, there was very varied information um, and different, you know, uh, takes on uh, the case. So that is cool and interesting. And it took obviously to the end of the article for them to be like, oh, JK, Trump actually did sign off on all of this. Uh, So he must have known, even though he didn't. He said he didn't know. Um, All right, let me look at the time, see what we're gonna do. Uh, All right, there's just two more little articles that we can go over pretty quickly. Uh, This one is from NPR. Uh, It is about uh, media coverage of missing people. Um, And it's called Racial Bias Affects Media Coverage of Missing People, A New Tool Illustrates How. We don't necessarily need to read this whole thing, but I thought it was very... um, uh, per, per, it was perfect for this week's episode because I spent a lot of time thinking about missing people uh, with the Casey Anthony case and watching that docu-series. And it crossed my mind several times how much different this case, I think, would have been if Casey Anthony was a little black girl or a little Asian girl or a little Latina girl. And... um uh, this is this is talking about that. And I know there was, you know, a couple years ago, uh, f- like kind of fudged numbers circulating about how many um, people of color, specifically women, I believe it was uh, just go missing. And and what was fudged about and, and how no one's looking for them and what was fudged about that. It was, yes, they were all women of color who had gone missing. But the problem was and this was from Twitter was that it was over a much, much longer period of time than was being clarified in the inf- in, in the information that was circulating. So that was that was the issue with that. And again, it's not to downplay um, how much more press white women going missing gets. Not at all. Uh, b- but this show is a quest for the truth. And so if we're going to fucking talk about something... I want the real stats. I want the real information. I don't want just something that got you angry on Twitter and then you didn't read the article and then you circulated because that's not helping anybody. Um, So this article goes on to say thousands of people are reported missing in the United States each year. And while not every missing person case will get widespread media coverage, the fight to locate them, whether alive or dead, is always the main priority. However, when it comes to missing persons uh, cases involving people of color, that same media attention quickly dissolves ultimately feeding into the phenomenon of missing white woman syndrome, a phrase coined by the late journalist Gwen um, Ifill, I don't know if that's the correct pronunciation, that addresses the media's fascination with covering attractive, middle-class looking white women. They mean hotter because rich people look fucked up um, in comparison to missing persons of color. This so-called media phenomenon never sat right with Kyle Pope, the editor and publisher of the Columbia Journalism Review, who in an interview with NPR said something had to be done. Everybody talks about it and says, we got to do something about it and nothing happens, Pope said. If you go missing and the press devotes a lot of attention to it, you have a better chance of a decent outcome, whereas you don't if they ignore you. Um, Although I think statistics 
statistically, if they like don't find you within 48 hours, you're most likely dead. Um, in an effort to start the conversation on how both newsrooms and individuals cover stories involving missing people, CJR launched a new tool that allows users to openly share their press value with the world if they were to go missing. The new tool called Are You Pressworthy estimates that younger white women will get increasingly more news coverage than other racial groups, such as Black, Latino, and Indigenous people. To generate the database, researchers at CJR and advertising agency uh, TBWA, Chiat Day, New York, surveyed roughly 3,600 articles about missing people reported last year by U.S. news outlets, including TV, radio, newspapers, and digital media, according to a news release. From this, researchers were able to match the sampling in combination with factors such as age, gender, and race from the National Missing and Unidentified Persons System database to create the analysis. The implications of this are literally life and death. The amount of media coverage you get immediately after you go missing has a direct result on what happens to your case, Pope said. It's no secret that missing persons cases uh, across the United States are becoming way more common as the numbers uh, continue to increase each year. On average, more than 600,000 people go missing in the U.S. each year, according to the National Crime Information Center. Good night. Sleep tight. Uh, research shows that in 2021 alone, nearly 521,000 people were reported missing across the U.S., with 40% of those cases being missing persons of color. And sadly, 38% of people who go missing in the U.S. are black, which is double the U.S. black population, which is about 14%, according to the Black and Missing Foundation. I will say this, we are not naive to believe that every uh, missing persons case will get national media attention. Natalie Wilson, co-founder of the Black and Missing Foundation, a nonprofit organization dedicated to bringing awareness to missing persons of color, told NPR. Wilson said the nonprofit not only brings awareness to missing people of color across the U.S., but goes beyond the extra mile and helps families in the search for their missing loved one. Um, so that's interesting. Uh, and you can go on this. The, the article is a little bit lengthy, but I just thought that was an interesting topic um, to go into. And when we're talking about, uh, you know, kind of like on the, I guess, on the subject of race and how uh, white people are always kind of served first. I was thinking about that concept beyond the Casey Anthony case this week because there's that Instagram trend of posting yourself um, uh, if you were AI, artificial intelligence. And what I noticed is that all my white friends who posted looked fucking gorgeous in their AI. And then all my black friends who posted basically looked fucked up. And the reason is not because my black friends aren't cute. The reason is because it was so obvious the AI was developed using a white person's facial structure as the like that's that's the template that's the template they were using so it was based around that you know similarly to how medical research is uh mostly done on on men and then they go and we'll just apply this to women and that's why women's health care is you know severely behind um and so uh, it's it's just a it's it's a it's a fucked up thing when you're consistently seen uh, as a second class citizen when it's a life and death situation, whether that be you're in the hospital or you need to uh, get the word out that you're mi that you're missing. Um, so those all kind of wrap into what we are talking about 
today. Uh, and the last thing, this is a very short piece that I kind of came across uh, when we're talking about social media and how that affects the things that we talk about. Um, this is from uh, a Harvard University uh, like academic text, I would call it. Um, and it is legitimate. I looked everything up to, uh, to make sure this is not just like some weird guy's blog. It is, in fact, uh, by Gary King, who is an American political scientist and quantitative methodologist. He is the Albert J. Weatherhead, the third university professor and director for the Institute for Quantitative Social Science at Harvard University. And this uh, article says how the Chinese government fabricates social media posts for strategic distraction, not engaged argument. And this also will come into play during um, the Casey Anthony uh, trial, because as it was pointed out in the documentary, it was really the first large scale uh, court case where people got the opportunity to discuss it and make their own opinions on social media. And just think of, you know, the conversations, if you were alive, that you had during the O.J. Simpson trial, and then take that a thousand million steps further because you now have social media. And a kid is dead instead of an adult, instead of two adults. Uh, so Gary writes, the Chinese government has long been suspected of hiring as many as two million people to surreptitiously insert huge numbers of synonymous um, and other deceptive writings into the stream of real social media posts as if they were the genuine opinions of ordinary people. Again, we saw this during the Amber Heard trial. Many academics and most journalists and activists claim that these so-called 50C party posts vociferously argue for the government side in political and policy debates. As we show, this is also true of the vast majority of posts openly accused on social media of being 50C, yet almost no uh, systematic uh, empirical evidence exists for this claim or, more importantly, for the Chinese regime's strategic objective in pursuing this activity. In the first large-scale empirical analysis of this operation, we show how to identify the secretive authors of these posts, the posts written by them, and their content. We estimate that the government fabricates and posts about 448 million social media comments a year. In I would love to know how many times I was just like, fighting the Chinese government. They, are they calling me a fat cum bucket? Uh, in contrast to prior claims, we show that the Chinese uh, uh, regime's strategy is to avoid arguing with skeptics of the party and the government and to not even discuss controversial issues. We show that the goal of this massive secretive operation is instead to distract the public and change the subject, as most of uh, these posts involve cheerleading for China, the revolutionary history of the Communist Party, or other symbols of the regime. We discuss how these results fit with what is known about the Chinese censorship program and suggest how they may change our broader theoretical understanding of common knowledge and information control in author author authoritarian regimes. Um, and so obviously um, there's a, a huge article that goes along with that, but that's kind of like the abstract com concept that they are delving into. Um, in this academic paper, and if you want to read more of that, we can include the link in there. But I mean, I'm not going to sit here and read an academic paper for uh, to you. Although I do enjoy reading academic papers, I read so many um, academic papers on street prostitution when I was writing the fucked book, and man, was it fucking interesting. 
Um, all right. Now the moment you've all been waiting for, guys, Casey fucking Anthony. First off, you know, it is my lifelong goal to play Casey Anthony in a movie. And it doesn't, I'm not, it doesn't have to be theater movie. It could be, I'll do a lifetime movie. I'll do a Netflix movie. I'll do a Hallmark Channel movie. I'll even do that weird channel that fucking like Candace Cameron Bure does things on because she doesn't like gay people. And I apologize to the gay community, but I'll do a fundraiser for you after. You know I absolutely need to play Casey Anthony. We are almost the same exact age. And I think the resemblance from then to now is uncanny. Um, this is my goal. Please circulate it online. Again, my manager claims that they would have a younger person play her, but I say no. I play her because we're the same exact age now, and my kid didn't die, so I, I think she has a little more weather on her face. Um, and then uh, we'll age me back. We'll put cheesecloth over the lens, and then I'll go back to when I was 23. Okay, it's going to be fucking fabulous. Also, Mike, did you get the email that I sent you with um, some photos? Because we'll need those. And then um, there will also be two clips I want to play. They're both from episode three of the Peacock series. Um, and I have timestamps for you, but when we get there. Um, but if you just have episode three loaded, because I'm going to go through this sequentially, how they went through it in the documentary. I really enjoyed the documentary. It is a three-part docu-series on Peacock. And, uh, you know, you, you can just get... want you just want episode three clips. Yeah, that's the only place that I want clips from. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think it, I think it was a pretty well done documentary. Obviously, you know, a lot of people are complaining that there's a uh, bias and people are outraged by this documentary because they're saying, you know, why would you give Casey Anthony a voice? She's a baby killer, blah, blah, blah. Well, number one. She was acquitted of the crime. So in the eyes of the law, she is not a baby killer. Um, in the eyes of public, she certainly is a baby killer. And that is a big you know, point, uh, topic of discussion that goes threads out, uh, throughout the film. Um, and uh, additionally, uh, you know, to those people, I say, and we'll get into articles that didn't like this documentary after I go through my assessment of it. Um, I will say... So she's acquitted of the crime. We haven't really heard from her much over the past 10, you know, uh, 10, like 14 years. I think this was crime was like 14 years ago. And so why now would she emerge if she actually did kill her child and get away with it? To me, that does that right there doesn't make sense. Why would you point back at yourself when you've already gotten away with murder? Um, and obviously the first thing that came to mind <clears throat> would be wh what the fuck did Peacock pay her to do, uh, this, uh, this docu-series. That information is not available, uh, as far as my research goes. I'm sure she got paid something. It's not available yet. But I did find an article from, uh, November uh, ninth of this year from yourtango.com. So, you know, take it with a grain of salt. Uh, but it breaks down the money that Casey Anthony made from her daughter's death so far. So in, in 2010, <clears throat> it was revealed during Casey Anthony's trial that she had received $200,000 in licensing fees from, MB, uh, from ABC News for photos of her daughter, Kaylee. Um, and then 
uh, Casey Anthony allegedly teamed with her producer to pitch a $750,000 interview special in 2011. At the time, The Hollywood Reporter claimed that the producer, Scott Sternberg, had teamed up with Anthony shortly after her acquittal and was shopping the idea to networks. Sternberg was allegedly asking between $500,000 and $750,000 to deliver Anthony. However, the production never transpired. Um, Her latest business venture, according to a 2021 report from People, is intended to help women who are wrongfully accused of crimes. Um, And that's that's they're talking about the private investigation firm that Casey Anthony launched, which I mean, that's a lot like if you're just looking to make a quick buck, I'm sorry, but you're not opening up a private investigation firm. That seems like way more work than you're going to get paid for. Uh, You write a book, you do interviews, you make a movie, you sell rights to a, you know, you, you do documentary, you do a narrative film. Those are the ways that you make money quick. You don't you don't like learn the law and open a private investigation for like, that's just not, I don't know. That doesn't make sense to me. That's what you do, but that's the information that they have on how much money she made. I have no idea how much she would have made from this peacock thing based on what they pay people for TV who are unknown. I would guess it's probably like half a mil at least. Um, but again, uh, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean that you killed your kid because whether your kid's alive or dead, you need money to live on. We live in a capitalist society. Um, and this is someone who you know really can't work much of anywhere, can't even go out in public. Um, so again, just uh, just some food for thought while we go into this. Uh, so episode one starts with Casey Anthony moving into a rental house where she's going to conduct all these interviews. Um, for this documentary, uh, it's in South Florida. Casey lives, in, uh, uh, Casey lives in Florida because of course she does that completely lines up and uh, she brings this like bag and she then starts putting up framed pictures of Kaylee <clears throat> all around this bedroom that she'll be staying at in the, uh, rental house with the documentary filmmakers. It's a weird start. It feels insanely curated, um, and I totally understand why she wouldn't want cameras anywhere near around where she actually resides, because the amount of death threats that she's gotten since this uh, trial uh, stopped. I mean, I can't even imagine she can't. I, I don't even know how she goes to the supermarket and she still looks exactly the same as she did when she was you know, 23 years old. So she's very recognizable. Um, but yeah, so she's putting up pictures and, you know, the, do- the director's kind of asking her why she's putting these pictures up. And she says, you know, I have to have these things with me. They're very important to me. These are kind of the only memories I have left of Kaylee. OK, feels a little forced, but I take it in. I go, I'm not going to, you know, start thinking bad thoughts about her uh, right away. We then start to learn the case. And this is going to go like it doesn't go fully in sequential order. I guess that's like my negative feedback on the documentary because it doesn't go fully in order, which I think is kind of important when you're doing a when you're doing a a court case uh, because we jump around a bit. I know some of it was to create uh, anticipation um, and some for foreshadowing. But and then they also kind of went over a couple things multiple times and Unless you have a very bad attention span, you don't need to go over things a bunch of times when it's only a three-part docu-series. Like, you should be able to just retain the information. But anyway, before I started, I wanted to ask you guys in the booth, like, what you knew about – like, do you even remember this, Dylan? 
watched it live. You watched it? How old? So oh, this was what? This is 2000. I actually know this one pretty well. I'm like 13. I'm you're, like 12, 13. Oh, you're that old. Okay. So that's actually, you were older than I was during the OJ Simpson trial. And I remember the OJ Simpson trial pretty vividly. Um, and uh, and it was in your neck of the woods. Mm-hmm. So like what, what's like what, when you hear Casey Anthony, what do you think? Baby killer. Baby killer. Okay. Yeah, that's. I, I remember what, it was this trial and like uh, I mean two different trials like the Trayvon Martin trial that I remember like specifically oh, right. like in yeah. the same like, they were close to each other actually and um no I mean it was pretty I mean I'm with the public on this one with just uh, yeah baby killer she also like my dad also has like business in like Orlando and he actually has a voicemail from her father a week regarding what work and employment oh. I was actually telling her this um, before like, this I think it happened either like a week before or a week after things happened. So if he did, I know the doc. I haven't watched the doctor series. So, so like- wait, so while Kaylee was missing, because she was she was missing, uh, it was like after she was reported missing, or no? No, not reported yet. Oh, 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 okay. So this is so, but there but was a. I think it might be in that in that thirty-one day span mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. he's possibly, you, you know, he's a hiding a corpse or b fucking a baby. Interesting. Okay, um, Harrington, what do you remember? I I, uh, I remember the same thing then that I remember now. She's too hot to be guilty. Are you does that? I mean, that really check your taste does not waver. Um, <laughs> do you see me playing Casey Anthony in a film? Yeah, you got this. Yeah, I mean, For this sure. I, and I'm this is not I'm not joking. I actually went back and I made my friend un, make unprivate this sketch that I did in like 11 years ago where I'm playing Casey Anthony on the streets uh, of New York. It's basically like keeping up with the Kardashians, but it's keeping up with Casey. And we did an E commercial for it. It is on YouTube, you know. I, and then I, after I watched the docu, the docu, I was going to play it on this show. And then after I watched the docu series, I, my empathy was too much. And I was like, I was like, I don't feel comfortable playing this. I was like, my ethics just like came in and I felt bad. It's not like it's really super derogatory towards um, Casey in any way. But it is definitely making light of a very traumatic situation that this poor woman went through. So I do feel like a little bit bad about that now. But you know, we lived in a different time. Um, All right. Uh, And I do still love a Casey Anthony joke. I mean, come on. Uh, All right. So episode one, she's moving into this house. We learn, and I didn't didn't recall this. We learn that Kaylee Anthony was reported missing 31 days after she went missing. That's a huge piece of information that I just don't remember. However, this was happening right when I graduated college, um, which I would say was one of the worst periods of my life and I feel for anyone who is just booted out into the real world I was working like 70 hours a week for like $25,000 it was a bad time um and I had probably a light drinking problem um but anyway we move on uh so she was found. Um, so then we immediately we find out uh, kind of all these facts about the trial and then we'll kind of like go backwards and, and go over them with more heightened detail. Uh, but we we are reminded that Casey Anthony was found not guilty of murder or of um, endangerment of a child. And then she disappeared um, or child abuse. I'm sorry. One of those you know ones. And then she didn't do any interviews for that whole period. Um, she kind of just disappeared uh, because they were so worried about her safety. So to me, you know, and I'm, I'm kind of like going to narrate how I was feeling as this documentary goes on. To me, the fact that she didn't do any interviews, that pointed more towards innocent than anything else. Because if, you're, if your daughter is dead 
and you didn't want to do it. You just want to grieve. Any psychologist will tell you that if you are lying, you kind of are a lot more performative with your grief. When in reality, anyone who's actually experienced uh, really traumatic grief knows that sometimes you act really fucking weird when you're sad. Sometimes you do go out and party and we'll get that. We'll get into that more later. So we learned that Casey Anthony and I knew this from a couple articles that had popped up previously um, before this documentary came out, but that she works uh, for and with um, one of the lawyers, Pat McKenna, who was on her defense team. And she's friends with a bunch of people who were on her defense team. Is he a lawyer or an investigator? That guy's her lawyer, Pat McKenna. Yeah, the the, the police guys are investigators, but she, he was a member of her de- defense team. You know, and there's like mitigators, there's forensic specialists, but I mean, I'm pre- pretty sure like he, she is his like legal assistant. He's an investigator? Yeah, he's an investigator. He's the same guy who found the uh the tape of uh that cop. Right, but I mean she she stuff. is he is on her defense team. So like what is the That's, and there's investigators or part of your defense team. So okay, so it's okay, so do you but you don't need a law degree? Because he is an ex cop too. No, I think he's I think he's a private eye, which is how she learned the private eye business. Oh, okay, okay. They, they okay, that's a little confusing because they make it seem like Okay, they're just they're just. I remember re- this even when I was a kid. The whole thing about Casey Anthony Child is a private investigator. Like he did a lot to get her off, but again, she. Well, right, he's but he's on. Help. Right, but he's but he's on her defense team. It's just uh, I was, it was just unclear that everyone on the defense team doesn't also have to have a law degree to be on the team. Um, okay, so thank, that's, thanks for clarifying. That's why we have you guys. Um, and uh, she has since dedicated her life to getting other criminals, uh, you know, free, which I think, okay, you don't you don't dedicate your entire fucking life to something if you were faking it. Again, these are just my thoughts that I'm um, putting in as I go along. Um, we see a bunch of photos in this archival footage of Casey Anthony with Kaylee. We see one of the first uh, photos of them together in the hospital. And I mean, she looks fucking overjoyed. And like, I mean, you're, you don't, you, you don't, unless she was premeditating the murder for years, like since the day the baby was born, um, you know, I, you can't fake joy like that in a photo unless you're like a really, really good actor or a sociopath. At this thought, at this point in the documentary, I'm kind of thinking like, even if she did do it, her life was still robbed from her. So it kind of doesn't matter whether she's in prison or not because her life has since become a pr- like a prison. Casey Anthony can't do almost anything. Um, so they play some of the first prison calls and one of them and they interview uh, some of the main detectives um, from the prosecution or uh, and they and they kind of like make it clear that they think Casey Anthony is soulless. And it's a very polarizing documentary like they had. They, there's there's people who definitely think she did it. And there's people who definitely think she didn't do it. And it's two cops that think she definitely did it. Um, and this is really interesting because I also find out. And I guess I just didn't retain a lot of information about this case. Um, but I, you also find out that Casey Anthony's dad, George Anthony, is a retired cop. So immediately, I don't trust this fucking guy. I'm, that's my bias. I'm very on record that I fucking hate cops. Um, and he just, I mean, he looks like a bad guy. <laughs> it's, not, it's not great. Um, and you hear the call between Casey Anthony and her parents. And... Casey's mom, Cindy, who I just have no respect for this lady, sounds like she's playing dumb. And Casey sounds fucking furious. Casey sounds angry. 
So I feel like if you murder your kid, you don't yell at your parents. You would probably be pleading with them. You would want them to help you. You would revert to the child that grew up, um, you know, under their care or whatever care looked like in that household, which we will learn wasn't great. Um, They then go into this this narrative, and this is what I remember the most from the case, and that's that Casey was having a difficult time being a mom and that she just wanted to go out and party. Uh, Reminder, when Casey has Kaylee, she's 19 years old, and to like say in passing to a couple of friends that maybe you're struggling with motherhood or you're not always overjoyed is not the same as like saying that you want to kill your child. And we didn't talk about things like postpartum or childhood trauma in 2000, you know, 5, 2006, 2007, 2008, like this kind of time period where she's growing up um, with Kaylee. Um and uh, and also like you're 19 years old, like, of course, having a being a mom is going to be really fucking hard. Like, have you guys ever met a teen mom? Like I worked with a teen mom at, or a very young mom, like 22 year old mom when I worked at the uh, as a receptionist at the spa. And like, yeah, so she has the same feelings that a normal 22 year old would have. She wants to go out and party. She's still dating. She wants to like meet guys. But she's also a mom. And yes, sometimes she gets frustrated. But all moms get frustrated. We have this belief as a society that moms always have to be so fucking happy and act like motherhood is a gift the whole time. Like, have you met anybody? Try raising them. It's a fucking nightmare. Um, During this 31-day period where... uh, Kaylee is missing, but is not yet reported. It has not yet been reported to the police. Uh, Casey also gets this fucking awful Florida tattoo on her back that says Bella Vida, which means the good life. And, uh, you know, all the police officers are like, who does that? Who gets a tattoo while their kid is missing? And I just like laugh so hard to myself because I thought, obviously, this policeman has never been friends with a stand up comedian because anyone knows when a stand up comedian or anyone who's like a little emotional is going through even the slightest bit of trauma. The first thing you do is you go out and you get a tattoo that you will later regret. I was like, when she got that Bella Vita tattoo, I was like, innocent. <laughs> I was like, this girl is traumatized. Um, and she explains the 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 reason of the wording Bella Vita is because uh, she wanted to give a fuck you to her family like the good like she's living this great life it was kind of a sarcastic tone and I would argue that sarcasm um, is hard to read in tattoos you know it's hard to read in a text message so I think would say it's definitely hard for all of America to read the sarcastic tone in your tattoo um and uh then then we move on they talk about her uh former boyfriend who she was out partying with in quotes during this time his name is tony lozaro he didn't uh, respond to her request for an interview but casey um talks about like you know everyone said i was out partying in reality what she was doing is her dad supposedly had told her to like lie to the police go spend time at your boyfriend's house act like everything is normal or not not lie to the police yet but lie to all your friends um and act like everything is normal while i'm figuring out this you know toddler situation over at our house um so she went over to her boyfriend at the times house he lives in an apartment complex with a couple other guys two of these other roommates are 
I mean, they're complete fucking losers and they're interviewed in the documentary. And um, it's really funny to see them throughout the course of the documentary learn all this information that they had no idea about. It's like they knew they knew less than me and they were, you know, there. Um, uh, and these are what I remember most about this trial is the pictures of Casey Anthony out in tank tops partying. The number one thing she points out is she's like, I don't have a drink in my hand in any of these photos. She's like, I was just working with my boyfriend who was a club promoter. So I just went and helped him at his job, which is so fucking believable for a young woman in her early 20s, because that's my number one gripe with women in their early 20s is they spend all these uh, pivotal years helping men achieve things when they should be working on their own dreams. And that's why they start out their life fucking behind. Anyway, that's a different topic for a different show. But I then started thinking of how I would be portrayed in the media if I went missing and how easy it is with social media to create whatever narrative you want. And so I went through my Facebook from around the same time that I was Casey Anthony's age and I pulled pictures and these are 100 percent the pictures that they would show on the news if I had gone missing at that time. Um, And that's what I want you to show right here because they're fucking gnarly. So this is me. Number one, I was not actually passed out in this. We thought it would be funny if we all went to blockheads blockheads and pretended that we were passed out on margaritas but that's definitely one that would be shown okay this this just feels like some illuminati shit uh i used to do like random nude photo shoots with my best friend uh because we both love the sight of our own face this would definitely be shown be like look at this fucking whore who's this guy you know also some information about this photo this guy's a gay man so it's hilarious but i'm sure they would be like look at her out whoring with masks on she probably fucks kids she's in the illuminati who's that guy where's her kid is her kid on the set of this photo shoot next one please this I'm at, I am actually passed out in this <laughs> this one this was uh, Halloween several years ago when I was female Ronald McDonald and I was like half passed out eating cheese balls at my friend's apartment a hundred percent this is going in the montage that they're showing on the news because I'm dressed as a clown and then this is just an array of me drunk out of my fucking mind this isn't one of the two nights I got roofied um I got roofied by a guy who then went on to kill himself that was uh that was what happened later that night fun it's not the guy in the picture it's not the guy in the picture that guy looks like he just roofied you no that guy's from my improv troupe I was still. I say again, that guy (laughs) looks like he just roofied you. No, that's Kevin Bays. He's a sweetheart. Doesn't look like he kills uh, himself. Looks like he kills other people. He's an absolute sweetheart, Kevin Bays, and also a really, really funny guy. And lives in Florida now, I believe. Um, So yeah, this is me at a gay nightclub. I mean, I was. I don't. I think this is the the first time I kissed a woman. Is this night actually? Because I was. This was so long ago that you didn't. We didn't have smartphones yet. Um, So we used to bring digital cameras to the night club and I had it on a strap around my wrist and I woke up the next morning and I'm going through my pictures and then there's just like a picture of me kissing a woman that I later remembered was some straight woman who was visiting from Italy and her and her husband were at this gay nightclub and all I remember is that her mouth tasted really cold and it wasn't like it was not an unpleasant experience kissing her but it just didn't do anything for me so that's that you know flashing double p signs 
Um, this is uh, also from that same night. I went on stage with my friend Alfie, and we decided that we were going to be the entertainment. We were not hired. We were not allowed to do this. It was probably like a drag show going on. Um, and yes, his jeans are unbuttoned and halfway down with his ass uh, exposed in his underwear. This was, and this was just, this was a fucking regular. This honestly wasn't even probably a Friday or a Saturday. I'm get, this was probably like a Tuesday for me, you guys. Like I used to be drunk for like 72 hours straight when I was uh, like 23, 24 years old. Um, and then uh, I think this, I think this, this is like a club called Barracuda also, which gives you a lot of information. So that's just like a little taste of what would be 100% going on the news uh, when I was in my early 20s. But I think if you talk to my employer or my family or my friends at that time, they would describe me as a really responsible person. Because when I wasn't drunk, I was and I was only drunk. I wasn't it was like I was not showing up to work drunk. I was taking care of all the things I needed to take care of. But I was working so hard that when I wasn't working, I was fucking hammered. So again, I just think it's really interesting sometimes to step into the shoes of the person um, who a story is about and, th and, and thinking, what would this look like if I was arrested? What would it look like if this happened to me during this time period? And I promise you, unless you're boring, it wouldn't be pretty. Um, we then meet Casey's former best friend. Her name is Annie. Annie is one of the most convincing interviews in this. Um, they're not even friends now because, you know, it's explained that Casey uh, stole a checkbook from Annie, like went to Target, was buying Bud Lights, all this kind of shit. And Casey admits to all that. Casey admitted to, um, you know, stealing the checks and, and stealing money from her friends. Um, but even with all that bad shit that Casey did to Annie, uh, including lying and the stealing, um, Annie's like, Casey was a good mom, though. And that's the one thing that every, pretty much everyone who actually knew Casey Anthony in real life, whether they like her now or they don't like her now, whether they're, you know, they're still in each other's lives or not, they all pretty much say Casey was a good mom and Casey, I don't believe that Casey, like, killed her kid on purpose or anything like that that that's kind of across the board even like the roommates of her ex-boyfriend who really seemed to not like her her friend who she stole money from all these people um and uh okay so then so then we learn more about the pregnancy with kaylee we go back a little bit her boyfriend at that time during the pregnancy uh was this guy jesse grund who Casey lied to and Casey lying is a big big theme throughout this documentary she lies a lot she lies to the cops she lies to her friends she lies to her family and she admits to all that she's like yes I was a fucking pathological liar no one could trust anything I said but this is my actual story and I've healed and it was because of trauma yada 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 so Jesse Grunge her boyfriend at the time um she let him uh, believe that he was the father of Kaylee Anthony, even though she reveals in this documentary that she's like pretty, pretty sure uh, that Kaylee is a product of uh, a rape that happened at a party she was at when she was 18. Um, so that's that really gets flung out into the universe and it makes the story just kind of like a lot more complex complex i guess i don't know it just it, that that part fucked me up a little bit um and uh i think then jesse grund uh ultimately got i think he ultimately got a paternity to test you remember them saying that mike 
I'm pretty sure he ultimately got a paternity test and it, they, it was confirmed that it was not yeah, his kid. it was confirmed kid. he wasn't. Right. Okay. So that's how episode one ends. And so episode one, I wasn't like fully on board. She did it. She didn't do it. I was like, eh, I could go either way. The fact that she's lying to everybody certainly doesn't bode well for her. Um, but again, like I just saw real no point other than the desperate need for financial gain for doing the documentary if you got away with murder like to talk about it again i think that's the dumbest idea if you get away with a crime just go enjoy your life um i did just quote my own joke okay so um episode two uh i go into it thinking it's hard when someone is so good at lying and then does an interview where they confirm that they used to lie a lot and they're really good at lying, but they're no longer lying. Because if anyone's ever known a liar, um, and one of my really good friends from childhood was what I would 100%, who, who I would describe 100% as a pathological liar, Edgar Allan Poe, also notorious pathological liar. That's why he's so creative. Um, it is, the stories that they tell are usually larger than life, but you know also something bad is going on in their house and you and, and so you do feel sympathy for them and that's why you continue to be friends with them because you're like I know they're lying but these lies aren't really hurting me and obviously they're hiding something and I'll just let them be in my life still that's how I thought about my my pathical logical liar friend um so now we move on to the story of what happened the day uh, that Kaylee went missing. And this is prior to the 31 days that then um, went and, and prior to the time that she called 911. So she, she has, Casey Anthony has really avoided talking about the actual events of that day, the day that she last sees Kaylee. So she tells the story as she really wasn't feeling well. She was at her parents' house and she had lie down in a room with Kaylee to take a nap. Kaylee was on the bed with her. This was uh, something normal that they would do. Kaylee knew to never leave her side. Um, They're in a bedroom. Casey thinks she locked the door, but she's like, it's possible that I didn't lock the door. She says, I wake up to my dad shaking me. Kaylee's not there. He's like, Kaylee's missing. We don't know where she is. They start going all over the house, looking in every room. Um, They check the pool. There is is an above-ground pool uh, in the backyard. Um, Casey continually talks about how it definitely couldn't have – she couldn't have gone in the pool because the ladder wasn't up. And she's like, I couldn't even get in the pool if the ladder's not up. And if anyone's ever been in an above-ground pool and are short like me, I also couldn't get in an above-ground pool with if the ladder wasn't up. It's extremely hard to do. And I think um, Casey Anthony is shorter than me. Um, then uh, her dad, George, comes back with Kaylee's – I don't want to – they never describe it as lifeless, but, like, they would describe it as limp, wet body – um, and that's the last time that Casey sees Kaylee and Casey, like, I think kind of thinks that she's dead, but her dad keeps reassuring her that she's OK. We learn later that um, Casey was apparently or allegedly sexually assaulted by her dad throughout her childhood and that he would often suffocate her to the point that she would pass out if she tried to fight back. So I think at her head. Um, you know, if any of this is true, she logically was thinking she's Kaylee's just passed out. She's not actually dead. Why she's wet, 
they get into a little bit later. Maybe he was like washing like cum or blood off her. Honestly, they don't use these words, but like I'm going to be an adult and use the words because we need to talk about shit. Um, uh, so that's the last time that Casey sees Kaylee and George from here takes it and he says, I'm going to take care of this. Kaylee's going to be OK. Again, Casey Anthony's 19. She's, you know, apparently abused by her dad for her whole childhood. She's just doing what he says. Also, I think it's really important to remind us yourself that he's a former cop. So like if anyone knows how to handle something like that, it's not only my dad, it's my dad who's a former cop. So like for people are like, why didn't you call 911 or anything? I mean, when you're 19, you're still like doing what your parents say. And especially if your dad is a, a cop, you're like, let me handle this. Imagine how terrified you would be. So that to me like wasn't so crazy. But of course, she's beating herself up, beating herself up. Maybe if I had, had called 911 then, um, Kaylee would still be a lot alive today. So we then fast forward to uh, Robin Adams, who's this woman who uh, Casey meets in prison, because even though she is acquitted of the crime while she's undergoing the trial, which is like a three year period, she is in prison that whole time. Um, and so she, and she's in solitary confinement for a lot of the time, which seems like just absolutely inhumane in every way. So she um, befriends this woman, Robin Adams, by Robin, like waves to her one day and they begin exchanging letters within prison and robin shows these letters on camera um she got them back from you know the prison because you, you know you get your, your box of shit when you leave prison and uh you know they show them on camera and it's casey anthony sharing a lot about her life with her new pen pal robin including the fact that she was sexually assaulted by her brother as a child and additionally that she is now having these really vivid dreams about uh being molested by her father which she hadn't really come to terms with previously because she was living under his roof and she said now that i'm in prison alone away from him um these dream these visions are coming back to me Again, if you want to think of Casey Anthony as a, a a criminal genius, then yes, she was, you know, creating a, a huge template to allow herself to get out of prison. Um, but or you could just think of her as a traumatized woman who was sexually assaulted, who had repressed these memories. And then they came back to her because she's in solitary confinement and she has a lot of time to think. I could go out either way on those things. I could go either way. Because Casey Anthony, that's one thing. It was interesting to hear her talk for such a long amount of time. She's not dumb. She's not dumb. She's smart. Um uh, and then they go to some news footage uh, and you just see the public, you know, the public's opinion all, on all this. They thought Casey Anthony was guilty from the moment this news story broke. Like they didn't even think about anyone else. My favorite interview clip was a guy who's talking about the fact that Casey was out at clubs during the 31 day period when Kaylee was missing. And she, he ref, he referred to dancing in a nightclub as dirty dancing and i was like what are you talking about and this was like not an old guy this was like a guy in his 30s he was like she's out at nightclubs dirty dancing i'm like what the fuck is going on here it's amazing how far behind we are in sexuality um we then meet um uh, the mitigation specialist from uh casey anthony's defense team it's a woman named janine 
this is the first time that we talk about her defense team knowing that Casey was a survivor of childhood sexual abuse. And this really resonates with Janine because she reveals that she is also a survivor of childhood sexual abuse. And so she understood how Casey could be undergoing this trauma that she's never dealt with. And so she had this really, you know, innate ability to when her child was missing, walk around like nothing bad was happening because that is the mask that she had been wearing her entire life. You know, she's being molested from like eight through 12 or something. And she's going to school every day after being literally like fucked and fingered by her dad, excuse my language, but fucked and fingered by her dad and then like going to take a math test. So yeah, I would think that you get pretty used to acting like everything is okay. Um, Another uh, kind of tick in the box uh, of of Casey's innocence is that uh, Jesse Grund uh, also, um, I don't know if he testified uh, or just told police officers privately, but he said that he knew about the abuse um, that uh, Casey was subjected to because he, she had privately confided in, in him. And this is long before Kaylee went missing. So she told her boyfriend at the time that she had been sexually abused. I believe she only said um, by her brother because the dad thing took longer to reveal for her because I think that was a lot more traumatizing um, for her. Um, right after Kaylee is born, Casey tells a story about finally telling her mother about the abuse that she was subjected to by her brother. They were sitting on the floor, Kaylee was playing, and Casey finally gets uh, up the nerve to tell her mom that her brother abused her sexually, and her mom's response was, oh, so that's why you're a whore. So obviously she doesn't tell her about the dad, because that's not, you know... I'm not the best communicator, but I wouldn't, that's not, that would, it's not what my response would have been. So I know you can, you, you know, people always like to say, well, I never know what I would say unless I went through that experience. I can guarantee you, I wouldn't have called my daughter a whore if she, if my, if she said, oh, your son fingered me in the night. I wouldn't be like, that's why you're a tramp. Okay. Okay. Then we go back to the jailhouse letters um, between uh, Robin and Casey. Uh, what's notable about these is that they were actually previously released to the public because under Florida law, that's allowed. You're allowed to release these um, letters to the public. They were printed in, you know, Inquirer type magazines and maybe something more serious, but they were they they were printed in multiple magazines, and no one really cared because. Uh, again, we don't talk about trauma and sexual assault then the way we do now. The The second um, iteration of the Me Too movement had not yet happened. So no one gave a shit if your dad fucked you, you know? No one gave everyone thought you were just a liar. <laughs> no one cared. Um, then they, the documentary then goes on to keep talking about her going out and par- partying. And again, that was like the thing I remember most about this case, how shocked everyone was that Casey Anthony could be out partying while her daughter was missing. And, you know, when the case was actually happening, I didn't really have any deep grief to compare to. So I just assumed whatever they were saying in the press was right. And God, I would grow up and learn that that couldn't be further from the truth. But what I do know now is that sometimes when you're going through a really deep grief, you do want to go out and party. And during the deepest points of grief during uh, my dad's sickness, um, which is certainly far less traumatizing than the death of your toddler, 
sometimes I wanted to crawl up in a ball and cry. And other times I wanted to go out and get fucked up and just forget about seeing my dad wither away in hospice. I wanted loud music. I wanted booze. I wanted to be around my, around my friends. And even my friends who, you know, many of them are in their 40s. I'm sure they've experienced some type of grief in their life. Uh, maybe not of that level. Uh, I think they were also like, what the fuck is this bitch doing? And I was like, I know what I'm doing. I'm handling this in the way that I need to handle. And my brother, who's much different than me, also um, kind of did the same thing. I remember we literally like planned a night to go out in the city and just go wild. And it was great. And it gave us the strength to then go to hospice the next day. Um, Casey kind of has a quote around this whole subject matter. And she says, people also don't know when you're crying in a bathroom alone and trying to pull yourself together. So yes, there are a lot of pictures of her during this time period when she's drinking or she's out um, at a nightclub. But she's like, those were, you know, you're not going to cry in a picture unless you're fucking insane. So she was like, yeah, I pulled myself together because that's what I needed to do to get on with my life during that time. We are, we have, humans have an amazing capacity for survival. And and that's what she is showing there. And she was an extremely resilient, um, you know, uh, 20 whatever, year, 22 year old, 23 year old because of all this alleged abuse that she had already gone through. And I mean, again, personally, if I had a nickel for every time I showed up hot and smiling when 10 minutes before I was sobbing, I would be a kajillionaire. That's everyone I know. Everyone I know in New York City huge cry, go out, everything is great, Instagram, outfit of the day, I'm having a great day. I literally was thought about killing myself 10 minutes ago, okay? Not today, but, you know, in theory. Um, the days go on, everyone's searching for Kaylee's body. Um, they report it to the, you know, police, The nine, they play the 911 call. The 911 um, operator is kind of like, why the fuck are you just calling us now? Um, 911 operators. If you've ever called 911, notorious cunts and very unhelpful. <laughs> I mean, literally, I was on a bus that was like getting carjacked, and they were like, We can't trace something that's moving. And I go, You're going to need to learn how because it seems like an important thing to know how to do. Um, and and uh, so they realize Kay Kaylee's body is found. It's found in the woods. Um, it's wrapped in a blanket with a garbage bag over it and um, tape around the garbage bag, which because of nature and everything and how it was buried, ends up kind of around Kaylee's mouth. But they talk about later how it's uh, there's no DNA on the tape. So it's obviously obvious that the tape wasn't actually applied to her mouth. It just in the roughness of nature moved so that it appeared to be entangled in her hair and over her mouth. Um, so they find the body. Uh, Casey Anthony is already in prison um, just while they figure out, you know, what to do because she's at this time the one and only uh, person, you know, who they think. She's the only person of interest, basically, the only sus suspect, which is crazy when they're, you know, you're in a house living with two other people. You would normally would at least pull in those two other people as suspects, but they just say, Casey's kind of the only su suspect. This is what we're going for. Um, so they pull her out of her cell into uh, like a lobby in the prison. And while she's waiting for them to tell her that Kaylee's body was discovered, she finds out that the body was found um, because the TV is on in the prison waiting room. And they have security camera footage 
of this moment. I'm getting chills. They have they have security uh, camera footage of this moment where you see Casey Anthony look up at the TV and see that her daughter's corpse was found and you just see her break the fuck down. To me, this is one of the most important parts of this docu-series because there's nothing that can be curated about it. I mean, unless, again, unless she is putting on the absolute best show of all time where she knows there is a security camera with really grainy footage that will be played 14 years later on Peacock's streaming services. Streaming services aren't even a thing at the time. I mean, this woman must be a psychic then. Um, you, you see her absolutely, she's still cuffed and you just see her absolutely fall over. Um, into herself and it is fucked up. I mean, it actually reminded me of when I was in high school um, on 9-11 and we all, all the teachers just like put, let us watch TV, not thinking that we live in New Jersey. A lot of students there have family members who work in the Twin Towers and all these kids started having nervous breakdowns at Union High School. And it was mass hysteria in the hallways because we're watching news footage of living people jumping out of buildings and kids are going, my fucking mom works there. So that was a fun time. Um, then we, we can we kind of go back to Casey Anthony, public outcry, what people think of her. And again, I'm just like in my head, it's spinning around that like, no matter if she killed this kid or didn't, I just think that she's more than paid her penance for what she did or did not do. I mean, her life, I mean, she has visible anxiety. She's shaking throughout half the film. You can tell this, this woman never sleeps. Um, then we get, we get, um, we, we hear from Pat McKenna a little bit more. Pat McKenna, again, reminder of the investigator who is from her, uh, Casey's, uh, defense team. He, tells the story and i think this is the story of the first time that he meets casey anthony's parents um that he's waiting to kind of speak to them and they pull into the driveway of the house that they all lived in together with this tripped out boat that has kaylee marie written on it and like you know all this number for missing children and that while they were going through this you know, death and search for their, you know, search for their granddaughter who would then turn up dead, that they thought the number one most important thing to do was to trip out a fishing boat and then go look for other lost kids in the ocean in Florida. And Pat goes, I just thought something about that was a little strange. <laughs> Are you, you're laughing at me like... Like I would have done that. My dad would have done that. Seems like a pretty like, uh, Florida thing to do. I it mean, does. It does seem like gonna, a. How else are you gonna look for missing kids? They're obviously in the ocean. They can't swim, Corinne. <laughs> right. A lot. A lot of like a lot of instances in this story. I did have to kind of sit down and go, is this criminal or is this Florida? And th that's something that went throughout my head um, a lot, but. It, it just seems not normal, even for someone from Florida. And he was like, yeah, he's like, everything was brand new. And they weren't necessarily like, you could tell by the house, they, they were a very middle class family. So like, boats are expensive. Boats are one of the most expensive things to buy. And this was like a pretty nice boat. All right. Um, we then meet another member of the defense team. Uh, this is, her name is Dorothy Clay Sims. She's the head of forensics for the defense team. 
And now the body is found. So we start getting into forensics, um, you know, searching the house. Uh, Kaylee had been wrapped in a Winnie the Pooh blanket that matched bedding from the home, which they're all like, you know, going nuts about. But I was like, well, obviously someone took her from her home. So it's not crazy that she's in um, a Winnie the Pooh blanket that matches the bedding. There is this whole other story that Casey Anthony originally told the police was that uh, this woman who they refer to as Zanny the Nanny um, had was the last person to see uh, Kaylee Anthony. But I didn't even get into that because she says right out of the gates that that's a lie of this documentary, that that's a lie. And she didn't even, Kaylee didn't even have a nanny. It was just this woman, Zaneda, um, who she had heard about being a nanny in the area. And she just like thinks of this lie when she's in police custody. Kind of wild stuff. She also lies about working at Universal Studios and she's like, well, I did, but just not like for the past two years. And again, like she doesn't even like admit that she's lying until the police are like follow her into a dead end corner in the Universal offices. And she's like, JK, I don't work here. Um, I just took you on a wild goose chase. So which we then later find out um, her dad loves because her dad wants her to lie to the police because, you know, we think he's the real killer here. So Dorothy Clay Sims, head of forensics for the defense team, starts talking about a lot of the what she calls junk science that is used during this court case. Um they talk. She explains what I just explained to you about the tape around Hale, uh, Kaylee's mouth. Um, they talk about this concept called hair banding, which is like when the part close to the root is darker, and that is nor you know hair banding is often found on corpses, but it's not only found on cor- corpses. Um, Dorothy ex- you know explains that hair banding can be found on lots of different types of heads of hair including hair that's like dried out and that is consistent with the weather in Florida or humid or whatever. Like, but it's humid in Florida, right? Dylan? Humid in Florida. So like the, the, the climate in Florida. And she also explains um, uh, the inexactness of cadaver dogs because cadaver dogs uh, one time went immediately to Casey Anthony's trunk that her dad claimed smelled like a dead body. And it's also like, who the fuck knows what a dead body? I don't know what a dead body smells like. I've been near in I've been near uh, a dead body like, you know, at a wake and I've been near a dead an almost dead body in hospice. It just has a kind of a medical smell. So like a decomposing corpse, that's not like a smell that I just have in the archives. So that's like a weird thing to say. I mean, I know it's like a, a sentence that we kind of say when something smells bad, we go, it smells like a dead body. But he said it with a quite an exactness. Um, and so Dorothy explains that cadaver dogs, you know, she's like, you can you can basically like make them react when they don't actually smell a corpse. If you, you know, if the police wanted to kind of frame Casey Anthony. Um, and she said they were only used two times during this case. And the first time they reacted to the trunk and the second time they didn't. So this is literally 50-50. And they just isolated the time that the cadaver dogs reacted. And they told everyone about that time. Um, and, you know, and people just grasp on to what they want to grasp on. So again, a lot of the problem goes back to the fact that this was so highly covered in the media and people remember what they want to believe. And anyone who podcasts to a large audience knows that people believe and retain the information that they want to retain. I mean, the 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 crazy rumors that have gone on, uh, that have circulated. When I when I am one of the most clear people I know as far as how I talk about my own life, it's crazy. 
It's crazy the things that I've heard about myself that I go, I don't even know how you piece that together. So I can only imagine if it's a criminal case that everyone's invested in because a fucking kid is dead. And you know, you know, people love to talk about a dead kid. And again, what's really interesting about this case is that, as I said earlier, it's the first major case to play out on social media. And in the court of public opinion, Casey Anthony was already guilty. You see so many similarities to what happened recently with the Amber Heard trial. Like people made a decision and that was the decision. Um, the defense also called to the stand a woman named Sally, who is a grief expert. Uh, she explains that young people are notoriously reluctant grievers who often indulge in risky behavior when they are grieving because they don't have the tools to properly grieve yet. That kind of goes along with this whole party girl thing, Madonna horror complex that was circulating with them, you know, throughout the media. No one's listening. No one's listening. Another therapist um, comes on and talks about, you know, because everyone's like, well, she was lying the whole time. You know, that is a uh, felony to lie to the police. But he explains that pathological lying is not a diagnosis, you know, the way like schizophrenia is. It's merely a pattern of behavior that often occurs um, from developmental or family issues. So he's basically saying if this girl was raped consistently by her fucking dad and her brother, her brother molested, not raped, um, uh, for, you know, a, a, a lot of time during her formative years, yeah, it would make sense that she's a pathological liar because she's already being trained by her dad, by her brother to lie because they threaten her. If you tell anyone about this, you're going to, I'm going to fuck you up, you know? Um, and the head of forensics um, then goes, if a person is so traumatized by their child's death that they can't respond um, emotionally, that to me says that they are a good mother, not a bad mother. Again, we go into this this opens a conversation about how we as a society, especially people, especially people who have never grieved, think what you know, think you should grieve. Um, in, imagine in their heads what grieving should look like. Again, a lot of this is like from what we take in uh, from movies and television. Grieving is dramatic. Grieving is you're crying, you're sobbing, you're open, you're 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 just you have tissues flying, you're throwing yourself into your husband's grave, and that's not what grieving look like looks like. That's grieving when you're trying to make it seem like you're sad about something that you're not actually sad about that's what it looks like then but when you're actually sad when I'm actually sad I'm walking around smiling I'm waving at people who died broke my heart it's not I'm not waving at people who died but you know I'm just acting like everything's okay and everything is not okay that's fucking survival we then call to the stand uh, Crystal Holloway she's going to be one of the most important uh, witnesses that appears on the stand she um, was allegedly having an affair with George Anthony Casey's father and George confided in her um uh that Kaylee had an act like she, that there was an accident and that's how she died um so that's like a huge piece of information and I think a lot of the reason that Casey Anthony ends up getting acquitted because they start going like okay this George guy he's a bad guy um the defense team's entire argument revolves around the fact that they claim Kaylee Anthony accidentally drowned in, a, in the swimming pool and then they just did a really bad job at handling it because they panicked. That's the story that the defense goes with, even though uh, throughout the docuseries, uh, Casey Anthony maintains that she 100% knows Kaylee did not drown in the pool. She's like really certain of that. Um, and then the 
interviewer is kind of like, well, then why did you let them run with this story? And and they said she said, well, they needed a way to explain it. And that was the only way they could think to explain it. Because, you know, throughout this, this 31 days, Casey's saying that she also doesn't know what was going on during these 30 days, 31 days. She was just at the beck and call of her dad, would have conversations with him when the mom was at work. Um, and her cell phone records do back that claim up. Um, and she's like, I don't know what he was doing, but I was just so scared of him. I was so, he was still my abuser. And when someone abuses you, you kind of just do whatever the fuck they say because you hate them, but you also have this love for him. And I mean, again, this lines up with kind of any story of abuse that I've heard. And I would say that I have, I mean, I'm not an expert in law or don't have a degree in anything revolving around sexual assault, but I would say I have an honorary degree in it based on 10 years of doing Guys We Fucked and reading a lot of trauma and assault emails. Um, furthermore, the story worked because they were being tried. Uh, Casey was being tried in Florida. And in the state of Florida, the number one way children die is by drowning in swimming pools. So that's fun. Uh, Dylan, do you know anyone who drowned in a swimming pool? I almost drowned four times. Okay, there you go. But you had an in-ground pool because you were wealthy, right? Uh, the first, yeah, they're all in-ground. Yep, I, that's what I thought. Okay. <laughs> well, climbing it, into it, a, it, climbing up into a pool, then drowning—that seems more like suicide. Well, I mean, this you can't get in there. I don't. I, I mean, listen, suicide uh, number, you know, age has been going lower, but I don't know of many two-year-olds who purposefully take their own lives. That's when Kaylee I mean, was when your two. Mom's out clubbing. I mean, right. Well, the clubbing happened too. while she was missing, not during not during her childhood. Um, you know, and obviously, yeah, a lot easier to drown in an in-ground pool because um, you can just walk right in. Everyone's seen a video of like a dog going in and you know another dog heroically rescuing them on Instagram. Uh, George Anthony testified a lot in court, um, in, you know, primarily against Casey. So George Anthony, he's on the stand. Um, he's doing interviews publicly where he's saying my daughter was a good mom. She would never, uh, you know, kill her child. But then privately, he is testifying against her. He's basically the lead witness for um, or the lead the lead person to take the stand for the prosecution. And um he talks to the police privately and says negative things about Casey. He's like, you can't believe anything she says. She's a huge liar. Obviously, they're giving him special treatment because he's a former cop and former cops always give former cops uh, special treatment. And at no point is he even really investigated. Like he's not even people, you know, it's not even thought of. And all this is going out into the media and no one ever fucking connects the fact that he, he, George Anthony is, you know, going on interviews saying my daughter would never harm um, her daughter, but then testifying against her in court. You know, it's, it's pretty crazy. And then we, we've, and we also learn not only did he testify against her in the court, footage that we are able to see he was also um he testified before the grand jury which is why the indictment happened to begin with so like he is basically throughout this case almost helping the state try to put casey anthony to death which everyone kind of agrees in this documentary is crazy because if they're you know everyone's kind of agreeing that kaylee they're pretty sure died because of some sort of accident that they mur whether or not the sexual assault, the sexual assault, I think happened. It was purposeful. Um, you don't accidentally, I guess, slide your dick into a two year old. Sorry. That's so fucking gross. Um, but you know, 
you know, if if he was using tactics of like, you know, placing a pillow uh, over her face as he was molesting her um, and then just left it on too long, it's very likely that she could have accidentally, you know, been out of uh, oxygen for too long and just died. Um, and that's, you know, a tactic that he's that Casey Anthony says um, that her dad used on her as a child. So that all kinds of kind of uh, lines up. Then, um, but everyone's like, wow, it's really weird that George Anthony would consistently testify um, in spaces where it's obvious like that he's trying to help his daughter get the death penalty because it is then decided like she can get the death penalty. Um, and kind of everyone in the docuseries agrees like I would never, you know, whether or not I would testify against my child is up in the air, but I would absolutely never try to have my kid get the death penalty, even if I did think that they killed their own daughter. So that's interesting. Then we move on to the third and final episode. Um, it starts with the not guilty verdict being read. Um, we see everyone in the courtroom throughout this process. Uh, George and Cindy, Casey's parents, were you know able to watch all these proceedings, which they do kind of say is weird because George is also testifying, so he's getting all this extra information, and he has uh, the extra help of having been a police officer, so he you know can kind of lie around what the prosecution is trying to concoct. Um, it's, it's fucking sloppy. And I did cry when the not guilty verdict was read because the whole team embraces and, you know, you like, you know, you, we see this a lot in American culture. I've seen a lot of verdicts being read and how people react. And there was just something about it that felt really authentic you know it, whatever however Casey reacted was how she was going to react but the other members of the defense team especially the women on the defense team just fucking embrace her they they hug her and they don't let her go you can see like they've been through so much together and you know it is your job as a defense as a member of the defense team whether or not you think the person did it to defend that person. If you take that job, you have to defend that person and you have to try to get them off. Um, and so I think there's many instances where people are working on a defense team and in their hearts, they think the person is a criminal. But you just watch this and you go, you don't you don't hug someone like that if you think they murdered your kid. You just don't, especially not a mom, especially not another woman. Like you, no woman's that good at acting, not even Meryl Streep. Um, we then go back to Pat McKenna. He kind of informs us at this point in time that he used to be a cop. He also used to be a bodyguard for Yoko Ono, which is just like a fun flex that they toss in there. And, uh, so the number one thing that they're worried about after Casey is acquitted, like she's not out of the woods yet. She has, the public is fucking furious, you know? They think about how mad that people were when OJ got acquitted and multiply that by about 10,000 because that's how mad people were when Casey Anthony got acquitted. Again, people really like to get on their high horse when it comes to child murder. They really like to act like they know 100% what happened and, you know, they could never even accidentally kill their child when in reality anyone could accidentally kill their child and it kind of happens a lot. Um, so... Pat McKenna is very worried about Casey. He's like, we can't just, you know, she obviously can't go back with her parents after, you know, she talks about 
her dad uh, fingering and, and fucking her. And I guess we have to name the episode that. And she, you know, can't um, go out in the public eye because they're getting just a slew of death threats. They are absolutely worried that someone's going to take her life almost immediately. And I actually can't believe she's still alive. Um, so Pat McKenna decides that the only safe place for Casey Anthony is to live with him. And when he says that, you go, oh, my God. Pat McKenna's trying to fuck Casey Anthony. But then he's like, but then they, they then they like leave a little ellipses and they're like, no, 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 no. Uh, like I ran this by my family and she lived with me and my entire family. It's not like he just went to live with Pat McKenna. So what, my, what Mike, what? I don't know. They're both, their names are on a uh, used Toyota uh, RAV4, I think it is. So where'd you get that information from? I, I did my research. So I, I actually did my research because the the number one story I remember from this case was from one of the other investigators uh-huh. who claimed that she was banging her uh like lead attorney right uh in exchange for like paying him for the you know in lieu of payment. I mean that sounds like a good plan if you don't have any money. That, yeah, but the the investigator then also claims in that same disposition that he gave in his own bankruptcy trial. Wait, a dep- by the, way. the deposition? You mean? Yeah, he. Yeah. Oh, you said disposition. I was like, what? Oh, yeah, my bad. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it was like a it was like an affidavit he he signed to the court saying that uh Casey Anthony's like defense fund was paid for by uh her pussy? No, by I mean A, yes, but B also like members of the uh El Chapo's cartel. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, and Where uh, where is this what's the source on this? I mean, I'll, I'll bring it up for you right yeah, now. Yeah, I want to see the source. You know, I mean, this is the the source is a like I said, an investigator who who did work on the team. No, for sure, but like I mean, I mean, and so that I'm, where, where was this person interviewed? Is it like a fucking you know? Is it a is it a blog it from two thousand eight? It was his own bankruptcy proceedings. So that's oh his the, his own legal documents. You're saying right, right, okay, right. Okay. So it was his uh, his deposition of the court. Oh, okay, where okay, all okay. this came out. Okay, and then that was printed in a in a reputable news source. It's also it's really interesting, like the amount of things that we actually do have access to in the as the public, but how, you know, how little investigating most people will do on their own. And I mean, not that you should, but if you're going to if you're it's it, it was it was kind of incredible to see all the people who took the time to make a poster board that said, Casey Anthony, you're a baby killer and stand outside the courthouse. Um, but they also couldn't log on to like AOL.com and do their own research at the time or whatever dial up nonsense they were using at that day and age. I guess it was already past AOL. Yeah, when I was in college, I wasn't using AOL anymore. But it would have been fun. Dylan's Gen Z Dill dying in the booth right now. Dying in the booth. That's right. Granny used to fucking have to dial up. I used to literally make deals with God to that. I was like, please let this dial up go through so that I can write my Spice Girls newsletter because sometimes it just wouldn't connect. You couldn't just you couldn't just get the Internet, Dylan. Like you had to pray that it would fucking connect and that you would get through. It was like calling for tickets on a, you know, like the Z Morning Zoo hotline or something. You weren't always getting through. If you were lucky, you got Internet that night. You know, I I just like that you thought it was like dial up a- AOL was when the Casey Anthony trial was I'm pretty sure we had Google at that time you also said there was no streaming well services. I mean yeah okay eh, I mean not the way there are are now is what I'm talking about that. like you weren't getting you know network deals and stuff for that well and additionally I mean it's not that crazy because like my base was still really hot when I at that time um I or I guess maybe like phasing out a little bit because I'm thinking of like earlier years in college uh, I guess by my this is like we're talking like my senior year the year after so I was already in an apartment um and also it was like kind of that around that time when like Facebook was only for college students that's like the time period that we're working in within, you know, four years or so. 
Yes, Michael. Yeah, so the gentleman's name is Dominic Casey. Okay. Um, and this was actually, I, I was mistaken, it was an affidavit that came out uh, during Anthony's uh, uh, bankruptcy proceedings in 2016. Okay, so many, many years after the trial. Okay. Right. Um, yeah, so this- Oh, case, she did, I did, she filed for bankruptcy? She filed for bankruptcy. Okay. And then a part of the court documents that came out as part of that was this guy, Dominic Casey, um, <laughs> who says, uh, do, 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 um, that he, he would come into the office and he would see her running out naked. Uh, he says <laughs> that it, at one point he was, uh, he was in the room uh, when Casey had an interview scheduled with some news outlet and Casey said she really didn't want to do it. Okay. Um, Baez said, look, I'll get you out of this. Uh, uh-huh. Uh, or Anthony asked him to get her, to get her out of it. He calls up the news station, calls it off, hangs up the phone, says to her, "You now owe me three blowjobs." This was in front of Casey. Okay. Um. Yeah. And then there was. Uh, I mean, that doesn't that doesn't point to the fact that he she she killed her kid though. I mean, because you know, exchanging sex for goods is you know kind of a time honored tradition. Yeah, oldest profession and all that. Right. Um, so uh, the other damning part here is Baez told me that Casey uh, had murdered Kaylee and dumped the body somewhere, and he needed all the help he could get to find the body before anyone else. Okay, but wait. So when when is that from? Because this is from this is from 2016. So oh, this is just a conversation that happened. This was an affidavit that came out relating to her bankruptcy. Uh-huh. I'm assuming it's like this guy's services were rendered. Uh, right. as part of the as part of her legal defense so he like needed to give some kind of input on why he was owed that money right okay so bias is from the defense team it's just weird because like really no one on this team seems to like know what happened to kaylee okay and that's, I mean, like, wouldn't you think bias would have con- would have talked to McKenna about that or no because she, he was fucking I don't no, know. Baez is the guy she was fucking. Casey no, is the other investigator. No, no, no. I'm saying when I say Casey, I mean Casey Anthony. Yeah. yeah. So, so, but it, wouldn't you think? I know Baez was, but Baez was fucking her, and also on the defense team though. He correct? Was the, yeah, he was the head. Yeah, because like, I, I know I have a visual of him in my head, and so, he, but he was working alongside Pat McKenna, who then took took her into his home, and you don't think that those two would have talked about this if if she admitted it to him? No, because they're fucking. I mean, it's possible. Wait, no, 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 no. Okay, sorry. Here's the 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 Dominic Casey uh, wrote that Baez told him of Casey Anthony's guilt. No, no, no. I I'm following. I'm just saying it's weird because I truly believe Pat McKenna do- thinks Casey is innocent, and so it's just weird to me that someone else who was spent three years trying this case wouldn't have eventually found out if Casey was Casey Anthony was that loose lipped about it. Mm. that's my that i mean again again, i'm not agreeing or disagreeing that's just i I just think like listen i mean like uh people that you i mean husbands and wives tell on each other like some guy you're fucking for legal you know in lieu of legal fees i don't i don't really trust that guy to like keep my child murdering a secret also kind of wild to be like i fucked this girl brains out even after she told me she murdered her kid i mean that's like a pretty stop it Dylan. as long as you don't give her your seed who cares i mean that's i don't if <laughs> don't want to give her another baby to kill so wait both you guys if a if, if a girl a girl that you that you thought was really hot confided in you that she murdered her baby and yes, Chris, buried still it fuck you oh my god oh my god you're fired um <laughs> would you still fuck her like for real for real 
Uh, no. And this isn't like the hottest girl ever. This is a girl that is kind of hot. She's not even the hottest girl ever. Just like mid. No, it's Casey Anthony. There's no one. No one thinks Casey Anthony's the hottest girl uh, no, ever. To Mike now. Wait, Mike thinks she's the hottest girl ever. So wait, wait, Mike, is Casey Anthony your number one celebrity crush? No, no, that's Ca- wild. Casey Anthony's not even on my on my pass list. Um, uh, but the the oh, you have a pass list? Yeah, obviously. Ooh. Um, but the the the. McKen- like for McKenna or for Baez, yes, that is that's as hot as you're gonna get. Baez is not bad looking. He's, and he has a good job. Yeah, still he's fuckable. Yeah, but I mean he has like baseball player vibes. Too. Right, but I mean in this story, mm-hmm. right, like having that over someone seemed to be his kink. You know what I mean? To announce in front of other in front of a third party, I'm- you're gonna have to suck my dick for the phone call that I just made. That's as good as. But also, to me, then because he's fucking a murderer, anything he says, I don't believe anymore because he uh, he doesn't have morals or ethics. I really do. I mean, that's 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 how you know. If we're gonna if we're gonna make all these wide uh, statements based on Casey's you know Casey's behavior, we have to make make you know thoughts based on other people's behavior too. Wait, so you agree that Casey Anthony's a murderer? No. Okay, so then he was just lying. I, I, I don't agree or disagree. I'm not I, I don't agree or disagree that case. I'm not I'm still not sure even after this documentary. I'm leaning more towards that she didn't, but um I definitely think she probably knew more than she's saying, but I don't think that she I think it was the dad for sure. I think it was mutually uh, beneficial for both of them. I think they had like cahoots. I mean there's a lot of things that go against that he though. Like kids and she didn't want a rape baby. No, well, uh, no, nah, I think, but I think if you don't, but then why didn't I just get an abortion? It's alive. It's walking. No, 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 no. But she knew she was pregnant. Like she could have gotten an abortion previously. And she, because she, she knew the whole time it's it was Florida, a red state. She knew the whole time it was a rape baby. Yeah, because she was trying to trick that dumb high school kid into being like, yeah, this is your baby. I I don't think the story. She legitimately tried to tell him. She did, but that's because she had a, that's because she got a boyfriend. It didn't seem like, I don't know. It just doesn't seem. Now your guys' misogynistic views are leaking out, so. I'm just saying, you know, what, what are the odds of somebody, right, of everybody that you know to be, to have the trifecta of molested, raped we're calling it a trifecta yes a trifecta yeah, the big three, the big three. A lo- honestly a lot of comedians mike molested raped, and this is why i need to go to therapy framed for child murder right not for, i mean not framed i mean i wouldn't say framed i mean uh, you know she wasn't framed i mean she would be one of the number one you know she would be in the top three suspects it's not that she casey to me it's not that casey anthony was framed it's that no one looked into george or cindy at all at all I mean, how many people though like if you if you went missing for even three days four days a week i know would your, you'd be your sad. mom your mom would be people would be tearing down the like, houses like Ripping down the walls, like my, I think my I'm but this sure my is mom t- would turn in literally everyone in my family to try to find me. Yeah, but this is a, that's nice. Like, um, I'm saying, like, but, but like this is Casey a- just chilled. No, 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 but no, 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 no. Okay, but she wasn't just chilling. She was she was going out and doing exactly what her abuser father said. And it's very easy for a two year old to go missing because if the only people who need to know where the two year old is are all you know in on it together in some way, the the mom's just a fucking idiot. I think we can agree. She's getting cheated on right and left by the father. She's 
letting the, him back the, in the like, house. Her mom, Casey's mom. Yeah, Casey's yeah, mom is she's, that's Ca- she's Casey's mom's her. Cindy's the ultimate pick me girl in my opinion. I fucking hate that bitch. Um, but then, but then, so Casey, um, you know, is is just doing exactly what her father tells her. And like, you don't look for a two year old because a two year old isn't in school yet. And if a two year old doesn't have a babysitter or a nanny, and the only people hanging out with this two year old are these three people, if then, a two year old isn't within ten feet of you, it's dead. No, 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 but I'm saying, yeah, but I mean, I'm, what I'm saying, Dylan, they know, like, they, di- like, the dad says he's handling it, and she, th- and she just believes it because she's in, in, still in the cycle of abuse. That's still neglect, though. It's, no, it's not. It's not neglect. She's neglecting. No, to- no, no, no. I don't. I mean, I'm saying I'm talking about neglect in the in the legal terms. I mean, because she, she's she's saying like she got brainwashed and and stuff. I mean, this she's really young, guys. I mean, the letters I get from like 35 year old women on guys we fucked her are like from imbeciles. Sorry, guys, if you've written in, but some of you, you know, are dumb bitches. Um, <laughs> why are you shaking your head right now? I am not on. I am not defending Casey, but I think there are a lot of there are a couple really really strong points in this. And to me, okay, so we, we didn't even get to where I definitely think Casey Anthony's dad is a pedophile. That to me is like without saying you didn't watch episode three. See, Mike, you only watched episode one of the docu series. After I watched episode one, I also was like, I think she still did it. Episode two, I'm in the middle. Episode three, I'm going. I don't know what happened, but her dad fucked kids. Why do you think three episodes? If there was four, the fourth one would have been like, no, she actually did it. Yeah, no, of course, of course you need, thank you, I, I know how to, how, how to do a TV show, Dylan, thank you. Okay, so, okay, so we're, so Pat McKenna letting her into the home, you know, she's acquitted, she's living with Pat McKenna and the family, um, she's really being protected, she's not allowed to be in any photos, no one can know where she is, um, Casey Anthony's parents during this time after she's acquitted keep doing interviews for like 10 years um, for money and every time they're throwing her under the bus and her interviews that her parents give are worth every damn cent that these networks pay because they are fucking off their rocker they're fighting in front of the interviewer like they're in their living room watching an episode of Survivor it's absolutely incredible it's fucking incredible um during, you know, uh, Casey's kind of unpacking some things she hasn't thought about in a long time at this point in the docuseries. She keeps saying, I wasn't um, I wasn't the only one home. Why didn't my dad call 911 the moment that he found Case, uh, Kaylee's body wet and limp? Um, then we are introduced to this woman, Kristen Patton, who refers to herself as a citizen journalist, which is just like, I guess, the next step up from Cat Lady. <laughs> I love this lady and I absolutely would spend my time citizen journaling. Um, she's got, I don't even really know why she's in the docu-series because to me, she didn't really add anything of high value except for that sh- she's, you know, kind of saying that she definitely thought this um, case was not properly investigated and she wanted to look into it more. Um during this time, Lee Anthony, who's Casey Anthony's brother, comes forward and uh, tells, and I, don't, I don't even know the timeline on this, but she, I guess this is before she's acquitted. She, he tells the defense kind of last minute before everything goes down that the way Kaylee Anthony's body was found, blanket, a garbage bag tape around it was exactly the way that George Anthony used to bury the family pets. And um, that, and then the defense is kind of going wild. They're like, wow, that really points to it. I, that wasn't as much of a, like a crazy moment to me because like, although I think it's weird to bury something that way, it's not like that crazy. I mean, 
it is a little Florida because I got all my deceased animals cremated, like the bigger ones. I mean, obviously, if it's like a bird or a fish, you just put it in like a jewelry box and bury it. But um, if it's like a cat or a dog, you get it cremated. You don't put it in a blanket and in a garbage bag and bury it in the earth. Like, that's weird and also terrible for the environment. So and like someone's going to find that one day and it's going to be strange. Um, they then kind of go back a little bit and they talk about the actual day of Kaylee's disappearance because they're all, you know, this docuseries is all leading to Casey Anthony speaking about the day of the disappearance. It's something she's never on record, um, or, you know, for in front of the public spoken about before, uh, and they find a record that at 2.51 p.m. on the day of Kaylee's disappearance that someone in the Anthony home under Casey's password-protected user account searches foolproof suffocation on the family computer. Um, and she goes, yeah, that was my dad. We all had each other's passwords. I didn't find that unbelievable. You know, I've definitely had my family members' passwords. Um, and, you know, if you're trying to frame someone, that's certainly the way you do it. Um, they have all of Casey's cell phone records from that time, um, from, from that day, uh, cause they were subpoenaed and Casey's timeline matches, matches up, uh, with her phone records. Um, but George's statements about the timeline do not match up with what he tells police. He says he was watching some like food network show and that Casey and Kaylee, left the property at 10 to 2, and he knows very certainly that it was 10 to 2. And he also describes in, in like, crazy detail what Kaylee was wearing that day, which the investigator is like, that's really weird. He's like, he doesn't have any other details about anything that he talks about, but for somehow has, like, super vivid memories of this day. And he says that Casey and Kaylee left at 10 to 2 and they went to the babysitter's house and that's the last time he saw Kaylee alive. And uh, Casey's like, no, we were there all day. And Casey's story matches up with the cell phone records um, uh, that she has because, you know, basically the cell phone is acting like a tracker. So they can, even if she's not making calls actively, they can tell where the cell phone was at that exact time. And then the documentarian is kind of like, well, why didn't you ever look up um, George's cell phone records? And no one really has a good answer about that. Like they have some kind of cell phone records for him, but they have no information about the cell towers. No one knows the answer to whether or not they tried to get them and like the court denied them. It just feels like very sloppy work at that time. Um, there's then some story about how Casey's car ran out of gas in the neighborhood and in front of this check cashing place and she calls her dad for help and he says just like pull it to the side and I'll go get it and this comes into play because that's the car that later he claims he opens the trunk and he goes it smelled like a dead body Casey tells some story about how she was bringing garbage and putting it in her trunk which doesn't kind of make sense to me because if you live in a house why are you putting garbage in your trunk you're putting it on the curb like that doesn't make sense to me you guys are like you guys are reacting so intensely but you haven't watched the full documentary so like fuck so you can't <laughs> i just broke the ipad um i didn't break it um i spent over an hour listening to an admitted liar tell stories that, that i personally that's episode one episode fanciful. one is fanciful and i agree with you you don't you don't, don't get to see the whole thing i gotta spend three hours listening to a liar tell me things 
a liar is not a murderer, which they say a lot of times in the documentary. Uh, I don't know. Hillary lied. Uh, people died. Do not fucking start with me. Do not fucking start with me. This is how me and my ex broke up. Not this one. Another one. <laughs> okay. Um... All right, so that car story is kind of weird with the trash. She's like, there was trash in a pizza box. And she's like, I forgot. It's like, I, I, just don't, I just don't understand in a suburban neighborhood why there's, tra- why there's ever trash in your trunk. That part didn't make sense to me. Maybe there's something I missed. Dylan, is this like a Florida custom or? No, she's a murderer. Karina. Stop, I, I, stop. I, I don't know why you spent two hours trying to convince everyone that she's not. She's a murderer. No. You live in Florida. You don't put trash. Literally, in- no one in the documentary says Casey's a murderer. Like the, the, the highest that they get, and this is people who hate her, are like, it was an accident. No one thinks it was an actual plotted murder. No one thinks that, except for you guys, apparently. I think it was mutually beneficial. Mutually beneficial. She, she, she wanted a party. Oh my god, you guys are so hag. And then you turned off your mic because you're a pussy ass bitch. Um, <laughs> okay. Um, okay. So now we're gonna play some clips because episode three is where George Anthony goes off, and we really, really get to see into his psyche. Um, so this is the only time I laugh during the documentary is when this clip comes on. And I'm not even going to set it up for you, but it is a Dr. Oz interview that is from a few years a few years ago um, because George and Cindy keep doing interviews for money, even though they, they're like, they get separated because he cheats again at one point and she lets him back in. It's just like the most dis- dysfunctional marriage I've ever heard of. Um, so this again, this is about 46 minutes into episode three and this is the Dr. Oz interview. And, and we watch Casey watch it. She's never seen this interview before. Sorry, I uh, there's peacock ads that you. Can't oh, get that's around. right. It's like a forty-five second ad. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Uh. So, <laughs> and in this interview, um, uh, George Anthony had just gotten in a really serious car accident, and you'll and you'll and, <laughs> and you'll see. <laughs> it's it's pretty funny. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, but it's for, go to 4636 is the exact timestamp. You got to go to the beginning of it. The reveal of him in the full headgear, I fucking lost it. She did reach out to ask how I was. Would you like to see her? No, I didn't. I'll be honest. I mean, honestly, I would. I would like to just tell her I'm sorry. You know, that I, I forgive her. I forgive her. I... And that's hard for me to say. But you know what? I need to be forgiven by her and my son and other family members or friends that I care so much about. Oh, Forgive me for what I've done to, to all of our lives. It was an accident. I'm sorry, what? Uh, Are you guys yeah, paying attention? It's wild. I know the answer to that. What does he need to be forgiven for? I'm sorry, can you play that back? I need to be forgiven by her and my Great son address. and other family members or friends that I care so much about. Oh, forgive me for what I've done to, to, to all of our lives. Was... What do you want her to forgive you for? No, no, no. Dylan, the, the interesting part about this is not Casey's reaction. The inter- the interesting part is this doctor, is George's interview. Okay. He's asking for forgiveness and, and for what? what? So at the, at, the, at, the, at the bare minimum, he fucked his daughter 
at the most, he fucked his daughter and his granddaughter and then he murdered his granddaughter. So this is interesting to me because I don't know if you guys have ever um, known someone who got in a really serious car accident. I did. One of the hottest guys in my high school got in a really serious car a car accident. Okay, he what? Me and him were nemeses in high school. I was like, I was basically real life Wednesday Adams, so very well known, but like known for being like a fucking wicked weirdo, um, but not like part of the goth group. Like I was my own person, and um, so I wasn't like part of a loser group. I was just like kind of notorious. And this was the hottest guy in high school, and we were nemeses. And the reason why this is important to this story is because he got in a really fucking serious car accident it fucking jumbled his brain and then after that several years later out of nowhere he reaches out to me like and confesses that he has a crush on me and we start dating and i am i know that that would have never have happened if he didn't get in a serious car wreck that jumbled his brain I am when I tell you this was a different person. This guy was like f- went from like we went to from hating each other and like a real hate, not like a sexy hate, to like him like literally reaching out, m- moving states to come be my boyfriend because he was like obsessed like, with me. The craziest thing I've ever and he and uh, this was someone I had known for years throughout school and did not in any way like he was a different person. I I met a different person, and there's a difference between like being a different person because you've grown up where you've healed. I'm talking about this was like he had a hole drilled in his brain and he got part of the brain removed. That's how intense, like it almost felt like, is this criminal activity me dating him? You know, it feels like in, in pumpkin when Christina Ricci is fucking that dude, um, which is <laughs> apparently a Mike, a Mike Harrington fave. I'm a huge pumpkin fan. Me too. It's a great movie. Christina Ricci's best work. It's a, it, I, you know what? I agree. It's a fucking fantastic movie. Um, speaking of woke, wokeness, that would definitely end up on the, <laughs> the cover of Fox news. Um, So this is the first piece where I was like, holy shit, George's brain got rattled in this accident and he's just going, he's not of sound mind and he's going off in this interview. I don't know. You know, he obviously probably had his life flash before his eyes. Things change. I mean, I do, I do believe that your life does flash before your eyes before you die. And I think that happened to him. And then also Cindy's response, she keeps going to him. It was an accident. It was an accident. What? What was an accident? There's no explanation for that interview. That's a wild interview. What? It was a car accident. What? That's not. But he's apologizing. Stop turning the mic off when you say something sassy. Be a man. I just fucking. I can't. Be a fucking man. He's cackling like a hyena. Well, I'm used to it. Okay. (laughs) All right. So then we go on to Kaylee's funeral. And this is the second most heartbreaking part of the documentary because it's revealed that Casey wasn't able to attend her own daughter's funeral memorial. And that, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry if you are, if you have not been um, fully tried yet, I think that you should be able to go to the funeral. Like that's fucking crazy. I never knew that. Um, That's something that like must haunt her. I, that, that, that just broke, that broke my heart. I mean, I don't, I can't, I can't, there's nothing I can say about that. Um, And so not only was Casey Anthony not allowed to go to her own daughter's funeral, she has never had the strength to watch the footage of Kaylee's memorial service, which she talks about how she begged her mom for it to be something small and private. And of course, it is it's a shit show. It's the most overdramatic Hillsong mega church nonsense I've ever seen in my entire life. But the 
craziest part of the interview happens when George Anthony speaks at the memorial service. And that is the clip we're going to now. It's at 51 minutes and 53 seconds. This is him at his daughter's funeral memorial talking about his granddaughter at uh, his granddaughter's memorial. You got another one minute. Ad. Okay, well, we'll I- walk. We'll walk, you know. Whatever, you know, it's fine. You know, Chelsea did tell me, she said, we have, I didn't pay for premium Peacock. I just paid for regular Peacock. And I am very thankful to her that she gave me her password. That was very nice of her. Don't worry. We're not going to leave it on gas digital. <laughs> I have it open on like four devices. Oh, come on. <laughs> I mean. Come on. I, Sorry, I just, Chelsea. I will take this off immediately. She's at home fucking cursing me out right now. I had to move room she to was, watch it. Stop. <laughs> she was gonna... so nice and generous to me. And now you're being an asshole. We have to send her some merch or something. <laughs> okay. We have to, I don't know, just find some merch and put it in a bag. She's so loyal. She's so loyal to Gas Digital and to me. And it's so fucking nice to have someone who's nice. Do you think merch just grows on trees? Yes. Yes. No, actually, I don't because I don't even have half of the merch for my own fucking shows. Okay. So what... I, I I can't even set this up. Is this ad is the done yet? Okay, so it's specifically fifty one minutes and fifty three seconds. Again, this is George Anthony speaking. I stand here today, proud to be the grandfather of Kaylee Marie Anthony, who not only meant the world to me but meant the world to my family and so many of you that never got a chance to actually. Hug her, smell her hair, smell the sweet sweat when she came in from outside. Are you fucking kidding me? To hear her call me Jojo, I miss that kiss on the cheek, that special hug that I tell everyone it's so great to get a hug from someone, but to get a hug from a small child. Look at his face! He's orgasming! Energy like you couldn't imagine. That's not normal. Nothing about that is fucking normal. That'll be in my monologue for my audition. You're outright telling the world that you're a pedophile. Jesus Christ. I'm not going to say how much I'm going to miss things that I won't be able to do with her because someday I'll be able to hold her hand again in God's heaven. I'll be able to take her in wagon rides. I'll be able to kiss her. I'll be able to smell her again. Okay, that's all. I think that's all we need from that. I, I like my crotch just went inside of my body during when I when I saw that for the first. I felt. And listen, I you know on this show we talk. You know everyone likes to cry pedophilia about literally everything. This to me is a pedophile giving a monologue at a memorial. I mean, he, this is this is this is more blatant than R Kelly's song about trapping bitches in the closet when he was literally trapping bitches in the closet. He, this guy's not even singing, he's talking. Smell the sweet sweat? What? And also, that doesn't even make sense. Toddlers smell like shit when they come in from playing outside. What? This is fucking, this is, fu- I can't believe everyone wasn't talking about this. I, I mean, I don't know if pedophilia is like similar to trauma in that we aren't talking, weren't talking about it as much, you know, 14 years ago. That is crazy. 
That is that that footage is crazy. And so what I'll say is I don't know who mar- who who murdered Kaylee. What I do know is George Anthony fucked kids. I that's that if there's one thing that you take from this docu-series, it's that George Anthony has fucked children. There's to me that there's no question. There's no question. So maybe Casey Anthony should be in prison, but 100% George Anthony should be in prison. And he's never even been fully investigated. Never even been fully investigated. And I mean, I'm sorry. That's why she, it's like, you know, that's why she came back dripping wet because she had common blood on her. Come on. This is crazy. That's fucking crazy. Wasn't she found in the pool? Was that not why she was wet? No one knows where she was found. No, 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 no. The first time... No, 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 no one was, no, no, no. She, the story is that she, that George Anthony appears with Kaylee's limp body and it is wet. That's the story. And so you, and, and, and that he's the only one who knows where she was found. He's the only one who knows that. That, that is, that is one of the huge missing puzzle pieces. But what I surmised is that he was cleaning her off because there's chlorine in the pool and I mean, there's several things I think I think, you know, maybe he accidentally suffocated her while he was molesting her. Um, you know, he could have also like this is so graphic, but he could have also like fucking like inserted himself too far and like broke her actual pelvis. You know, these are things that like if you have a fucking man sized dick and you're fucking a child, these are like you got to talk logistics. And like that's a part that bothered me about this documentary. Like, you know, everyone loves to say pedof- to call everyone a pedophile, but no one wants to talk fucking logistics. And we have to be adults about this because, like, there's a ton of pedophiles roaming around and you need to fucking know how to stop them or yeah, talk about do it, it. Guys, be safe. <laughs> God damn. Um, yeah. And then Casey goes on to talk. I mean, I mean, and, and also just like George's, bo- George's body language in that video, like he's like convulsing he's talking about this toddler sweat as if he is a vampire fiending for true blood i mean i've never seen anything like that in my entire life and i hope to never see anything like that again um casey then goes on to kind of wrap things up she talks about how she never left kaylee alone with her dad even as an infant because she was afraid he was gonna fuck the kid because that's what he did to her um you know, they talk about how George was cheating again on the wife, you know, and the, and the kind of the only safe time in Casey Anthony's life was when uh, George was kicked out of the house. Um, there's another theory that the 31 day lapse that um, Kaylee Anthony wasn't dead and that he took those 31 days to basically like hold her prisoner and continue to rape her. So that's another theory that's tossed around at the end. Um, that's a fun one. That that's one where like I'm like I don't even know what to say about that. So she wouldn't trust her father to be alone with the child at all, mm-hmm. but she would a hundred percent trust him to have the child not in her custody and not ask any questions. At that point, I think I, I, at that point I think she basically thinks the kid is you know dead. And again, is like you you guys like really just don't seem to understand the cycle of abuse and trauma. I mean that's like very pertinent to this to this case and I think like something that wasn't talked to about 14 years ago you know and again I think we also forget like what 22 feels I mean Dylan you remember but um, 
you know, but I mean, I think, you know, that's like, I remember what being 22 is like, actually. And it's like one of the worst, it's, it's a bad time. It's a scary time, you know, 23, 22, like uh, 22, 23, 24. That's, that's like some of the roughest times of my life. You just have no idea what's going on and you're figuring shit out. And, and, and then to add to me having a really nice childhood and having a lot of trouble in that time period, add to, I was molested by my brother and my father in a broken home with an ex-cop. Like, I mean, I can only fucking imagine what this woman was going through. Um, I know people well into their 30s and 40s who are still show signs of childhood abuse and trauma in almost everything they do. <laughs> so I just don't think this is that crazy. Um yeah. And then uh, at an uh, it, 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 almost at the end of uh, episode three, Pat McKenna, you know, tells Casey that he thinks her doing this documentary is admirable. Um, she's kind of in the in the side of the frame. But I, I went back and rewinded to look at how her face reacts. And she's so proud when he she says he says that about her. And to me, that really speaks to a kid who never got any positive reinforcement from her parents like again like to to be such a good actor that you can like fake pride i mean that's a really hard thing to emote so that also uh was that and then it wraps up with um casey anthony um and the and the filmmaker uh sitting outside the house where all this shit went down and her saying that she just wants kaylee's ashes and that her mother still has kaylee's ashes and she hasn't even been able to have um the ashes of her daughter, which to me seems like something that illegally she should just be able to get. But I'm guessing she doesn't want to involve the law anymore. Um, and so that's where everything ends. And, you know, I, I watched this without reading anything about what other people thought of the documentary, because I always do that for this show. I want to make my own thoughts about it. Um, there was one article and this is the last thing um, I know we have to wrap up uh, from The Guardian. Um and the Guardian, again, like not my favorite source, a little right, a little wacky, but um, this was like kind of the most, you know, calling out bullshit on this documentary. It says the problem with the controversial Casey Anthony docuseries. And also you can search on Twitter. There's a lot of people who still think she's a baby killer. There's a lot of people um, who think she's not, who think the dad did it. Um, and 100 percent of them are stupid fucking idiots on Twitter. So don't take any of those seriously. Um, this says Americans are more uh, might be more divided than ever right now. But one thing um, all can agree on is Peacock devoting three and a half hours to a Casey Anthony confessional was 2022's worst idea. <laughs> I loved it. For those too young to remember or lucky enough to have forgotten, Anthony was the O.J. Simpson of her day, a 20 something Florida woman accused of killing her two year old daughter, Kaylee, on fifth the 15th of July is British sorry on the 15th of July 2008 Cindy Anthony Casey's mother called 911 to report her granddaughter missing for 31 days which does happen but then they asked to speak to Casey and they put Casey on the uh, Casey Anthony on the line and they're like yo bitch why didn't you report your daughter um, and that the trunk of Casey's Pontiac Sunfire smelled like a dead body if there was such a uh, game as Karen Bingo, I'm already out, uh, Casey would have covered the whole card. She misled investigators. <laughs> I also love that a Karen is now a child murderer. Um, I thought that Karen is someone who like wants to speak to the manager. She misled investigators, pointed the finger at a made-up Afro-Latino uh, Latina nanny. Um, that was racist. And showed more concern for her own self-preservation. <laughs> it's, it's like the only person of color in the documentary. And they're like, she did it. That was racist, for sure. Um, 
and uh, showed more concern for her own self-preservation than for recovering her daughter. Finally, in October, Casey was charged with first-degree murder. Two months later, Kaylee's skeletal remains were discovered, blanketed inside a laundry bag. I think it was a plastic bag, but okay, in a wooded area near the Anthony family's Orlando home. The autopsy further noted the presence of duct tape at the front of Kaylee's skull and on the mouth, grounds enough to pronounce the death a homicide. Anthony's trial held the nation in thrall for six weeks in early 2011 and was a trending topic online. Time magazine dubbed it the social media trial of the century in an OJ callback, which was called the trial of the century. Oh, no, the trial of the century. Isn't that like fucking hidden the Lindbergh the Lindbergh baby yeah I was like that's a Lindbergh baby um my great-great-grandmother uh, testified in that, or my great-grandmother. Um, people whipsawed from being gaslit by Anthony's not guilty plea uh, to captivated by the sight of a young woman flexing her white privilege. Her, I mean, white privilege, of course, existed, but it wasn't like talked about so much in 2011. Her pretty privilege and tears and her kid was cute, too. Ultimately, the prosecution, which had sought the death penalty, failed to convince jurors that Anthony killed her daughter to free herself from the buzzkill of parenthood. And she was acquitted, whereas in 1995, the country was split in its reaction to the OJ verdict. This time it was unanimous in its disappointment. A throng that gathered outside the Orange County courthouse chanting justice for Kaylee was frozen with outrage. The legal analyst Nancy Grace, ugh, I didn't even get into what trouble she caused, whose star was truly born during this case uh, while giving Anthony the nickname Tot Mom, was resigned in defeat. Somewhere out there, she sighed, the devil is dancing tonight. I actually remember her making that her catchphrase. Um, since then, the case has been vigorously rehashed, but the Peacock docuseries Casey Anthony, Where the Truth Lies, get it, is the first on-camera interview by Anthony who did not testify during her trial. Still, she was found guilty of lying to police and walked free two weeks later after receiving credit for the three years she had spent behind bars. Even while emerging from seclusion, Anthony still looks over her shoulder, linking up with showrunner Alexandra uh, Hagiag Dean, that's not a great middle name, and her crew at a rental house to keep the spotlight away from her own. To make the safe house more homey, Anthony brings along framed photos of Kaylee, many of them ripped back from the tabloids. Uh, some of the most priceless things I have, she says, unpacking them. Why? They're some of the only things uh, I have left of Kaylee. The show doesn't just make the case for Anthony's innocence all over again. Parts of it play like a dating show sizzle reel, complete with shots of Anthony garbed in athleisure, wear snapping nature photos while out for long walks in the wild as if we're not all watching because her kid was found dead in a wood. This is such a ridiculous paragraph because it's like every documentary needs fucking B-roll, you absolute moron. 11 years later, Anthony, now in her mid-30s, still lives with the tragedy, apparently. By day, she works with a private investigator who helped win her acquittal. At night, she wrestles. She doesn't live with him anymore. That's not true. At night, she wrestles uh, with a range of painful memories, which the docuseries takes pains to animate as a police case library in her mind. She reiterates a claim her defense made in court that her dad, George, and brother Lee sexually assaulted her as a child before pinning Kaylee's death on George, painting him as a liar and kidnapper. George, who along with Lee had denied those abuse claims, is said to have told a People magazine source he knew... Um, he was going to be thrown under the bus, but didn't expect her to run over him so many times. No way he didn't fuck a kid. The docuseries has reunited popular uh, rank or two with moms decrying in its tastelessness and behavioral experts sleuthing for signs of Anthony in thespian mode. Imagine making a six hour documentary to convince everyone Casey Anthony is innocent. And instead, it makes everyone go, oh, I believe she did it even more now, actually, wrote one Twitter user. 
Great. Meanwhile, others take sport in finding the inconsistencies in Anthony's latest version of events. Grace, who turned down an invitation to participate in the project, struggles to even call it a documentary. Because when I hear the word documentary, I think of something that is truthful. This bitch has never watched a documentary. In a documentary filmmaking, if you want it to be interesting, you pick a side and then you pick all the information to back up your point. <laughs> She'd never watched a do- Michael Moore film? That's infuriating. Um, This is just top mom talking about herself and the airbrushed version of what happened to her daughter that she should have been taking care of. Among other sins, Dean, whose previous uh, credits include docs on uh, Hedy Lamar and Paris Hilton, doesn't interrogate Anthony hard enough about why it took so long to report her daughter missing and why she never asked her dad, whom she purports was in charge of Kaylee at the time, to see or speak with her girl during that time. That's not true. She does talk about that at length. What's more, with no one from the prosecution participating in the series... Um, there's two cops who definitely think she did it and two roommates who definitely think she did it. Anthony's defense team gets more airtime to disprove their narrative. That is true. But nothing frustrates quite like Anthony's assertion that she kept the lies going uh, out of fealty to her father when, you th- when you'd think he'd be the first person she'd dime out um, if it would solve the mystery of her daughter's disappearance. And you'd think her claimed history of abuse, which she further alleges included Kaylee as well, not to mention her already facing the death penalty, Uh, would make her that much more motivated to take the stand and scream it to the world. Uh, Predictability, uh, predictably, many of the principles in this sordid melodrama reemerged this week. The entire defense was that Kaylee drowned in the pool, but now she's saying she didn't. One juror told people. Yeah, but she says she never went along with that. Like the the defense team made up that story. Uh, She didn't talk about it on this. She wasn't, she didn't testify at all. Casey Anthony didn't testify at all because I think it was, she had already committed a felony by lying to police so they couldn't have her on the fucking stand because they knew people would be like this bitch is a liar so either the defense was a lie or she's lying now belvin perry jr the presiding judge on the anthony case dismissed anthony's peacock story as crap the ladies of the view were triggered all over again i'm sure this was very hard for them the death of a toddler they, ne- they never met um 11 years moaned co-host sunny hostin no one's ever heard of you who won fame through the anthony trial too and that's a crappy story that you came up with Joy Behar compared the doc to Netflix's scripted Jeffrey Dahmer series, scorching both as plays for ratings. Yeah, that's what TV is. Uh, only Rosie O'Donnell was moved to give Anthony the benefit of the doubt after watching all three episodes. Listen, it kind of, yeah, and that makes sense because she's some, a woman who's constantly scrutinized by the media. Uh, listen, it kind of made sense to me what she was saying. She said in a TikTok kill me now after an earlier video slamming the doc everyone said she was a great mom i don't know i know this is going to be a controversial opinion sure one could go into where the truth lies with an open mind but most from miles away will see it for what it is a soft focus vanity project from a world-class narcissist very overused statistically very few people are narcissists that you read read the stats on that people just use that any like when they just mean people who are behaving shitty um and tune out altogether some nostalgia trips just aren't worth the bother so that's you know a piece that goes against what i say and listen again i i didn't come out of this really i don't i don't know what happened as far as kaylee's death but i 100 percent know george anthony fucked a kid definitely i would say definitely that kid and probably more kids so check if you have a kid in that neighborhood check check out their vag um, or their, their butthole because they've been absolutely fucked by George Anthony. Um, that's it. That is this episode of Without a Country. Thank you so much. Check out the doc. Let me know what you think. Follow us on YouTube at Without a Country Podcast. Follow us on Instagram at Without a Country Podcast. Uh, DM me thoughts. Send me things that you want to talk about. I appreciate you guys so much. I'll see you on New Year's Eve at New York Comedy Club East Village and on the road. Bye.